everyone, Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Today, I am bringing you a bonus episode. I've decided since we're all staying in at the moment, it's a good time to revisit a character that we visited, oh, I'd say, what, last June, July, August? And of course, that character that I'm talking about is Veda Soltenfuss. Yes, last summer I covered the movie My Girl. I actually had to cover it in two parts. I'm really hoping this time around to avoid that. So let's talk a little bit about My Girl. Just like with My Girl, the first movie, um, My Girl 2... I saw both of them on VHS. I never saw them in the theater, but I do definitely really remember the previews to My Girl 2. Now, My Girl, of course, if you remember, came out in 1991. My Girl 2 followed three years later. It has the same cast. It's got Dan Aykroyd playing Harry Soltenfuss. Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, is playing now Shelley Soltenfuss. It's been about three years. Veda was... It's been three years for us, but I think it's only been about two years' time for Veda. And My Girl... The first movie, she was 11. This time, she's 13. She's a couple years older. She's lost a little bit of that baby innocence. She's a teenager. Veda, of course, played by Anna Klumsky. So, now, sadly, that Thomas J has passed on. It's been a couple years. At the end of My Girl, we did see her making friends with quiet girl Judy. Guess what? Judy's back in this movie, but played by a different actress. And guess what? She's also a bitch in this movie. We don't get to see a whole lot of Judy, but what we do see, I'm like, bye girl, bye Judy, go away. Just like, ugh. Of course, we do have to have a prospective love interest, kind of, sort of. And of course, we get that in the form of Nick Zygmunt, played by Austin, a young Austin O'Brien, who at that time, I think, had been in Last Action Hero before this. Of course, we do get the return of Richard Mazur, who plays Uncle Phil. We also get Nick's mom, who's dating Uncle Phil, who's played by Christine Ebersole, who plays Rose. Now, this lady, I've seen her in stuff. I've definitely seen her in stuff. So, alright. Alright, here's a premise. Veda Soltenfuss must go to L.A. to stay with her Uncle Phil to do some research on her mother's life, but finds much more. Here's another one written by uh, Liz, Gord- uh, Liz Jordan. Veda Soltenfuss has a holiday coming up and an assignment to do an essay on someone she admires and has never met. She decides she wants to do an assignment on her mother, but quickly realizes she knows very little about her. She manages to get her father to agree to let her go to L.A. to stay with her Uncle Phil and do some research on her mother. Once in L.A., she finds herself under the protection of Nick, the son of Phil's girlfriend, who at first is is very annoyed at losing his holidays to escort a hick girl. Come on, does he really say that? I don't think he does. Around town. However, he soon becomes more involved in the difficult search. Well, someone's got to show her around L.A. So, Pennsylvania girl, like, that L.A. is going to eat you alive, sweetie. It's going to eat you alive. You and your Philadelphia self. 
So this movie's got a 5.2. What was the other rating of uh, the first micro? I know it's got to be higher than 5.2. 6.9. That makes sense. I mean, I guess at this point, no one really was asking for a My Girl sequel. So we're going to get into some trivia and kind of see. Maybe they give us an explanation like, why did you want to bring this character back? Did you not feel like her story has hasn't or wasn't finished and you want to elaborate more? Because where my girl was beautiful, poignant, coming of age. And, you know, it, it was sad, but also something good came out of it in a way. Um, my girl, too, doesn't have that. Basically, the movie is pretty much just Veda wanting to learn about her mother. So this, of course, was directed by Howard Zeef, who passed away in 2009. So I thought at one point there was going to be a My Girl 3, which would have been, I don't know, that would have been interesting. But again, we're not really asking for a My Girl 3. Do we want to know where Veda ended up later on? I'd say because they really, you know how they mentioned she wanted to be a writer? She took a writing class with Mr. Bixler. They harp on the writing aspect her wanting to be like a journalist, an author, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> Writers Loris Ilwani, Janet Kovacic, I, uh, I, I butcher names, guys. I really do. All right. Let's see. We got some. Tr- do we have some trivia? Do we not have trivia? Why does this not have trivia? Here we go. I just didn't scroll down far enough. That's a problem. The late Carrie Fisher was an uncredited script doctor on the film. The cabin Jeffrey lives in was also used the movie's Eraser and Friday the 13th, the final chapter. This is the last film that Howard Zeef directed because he became increasingly debilitated by Parkinson's disease. Oh, no. The same disease that's got Michael J. Fox. Man. Uh, oh, for heaven's sake! If they had done this, I would have been like, what? 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 Cornball idea. Listen to this trivia. Don't. Tell me if you think this is cornball. Producers attempted to get McCall Culkin to appear in a brief flashback sequence reprising his role briefly as Thomas J. Sennett from the first film. Culkin was too busy with other projects at the time, and his character is only briefly referenced in this film as a result. Yes, he does get a name drop due to the mood ring. So, yes. Judy was played by a different actress in this film. Yes, she was. Oh, 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 boy. When the kids visit Stanley, the wedding photographer played by Ben Stein, he remarks, Stanley Rosenfeld never forgets. Intentional or not, it's funny. It's a funny line coming from Ben Stein as he famously has a f- photographic memory, so he never forgets. Okay, The restaurant that Veda and her dad sip root beer at is really a hardware store that was located in Claremont, California. Judy was played by Cassie Abel in the first movie. Lauren Ashley played her in this, in this movie. The original North American DVD from Columbia TriStar <laughs> included a one-page insert with a chapter index. All right, let's see what this Lindsay Ashley girl 
Oh, hold on. We'll have to. Okay, we'll do that after the goofs because we got some goofs here, and we also got soundtrack. Okay, set in 1974. Shows. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't the first one's is that set in 71 or 72? I can't remember. Set in 1974 shows a blockbuster video. Inc. was founded in Dallas, Texas, in 1985. Whoopsie. <laughs> well, it happens. At the beginning of the film, Veda's English teacher asks his class to write a paper about someone that they don't know. When questioning the class, one of Veda's classmates says he wants to write about Farrah Fawcett due to the fact that he likes to watch her run on television, an obvious reference to her role on Charlie's Angels, 1976. However, the film takes place in 1974, two years before Charlie's Angels premiered. In addition, Fawcett, although working as an actress, was was mostly an unknown at the time. Set 1974, oh, already read that. In Phil's shop, there's a logo for a Visa card visible. Visa was known as a Bank America card. Bank America card until 1976. Reference is made to one child per family policy in China, which in reality was introduced in 1978, four years after the time in which the movie takes place. The movie is set in 1974, yet the song playing over the car radio is Swing Town by Stevie, Steve Miller Band, which wasn't released in 1977. Set 1974, a California Highway Emergency Cellular Phone is, site is visible. Okay. Set 1974, when Veda first gets her to her uncle's car shop, a modern four-door car passes by on the street in the background. Well, maybe I'll have to keep an eyeball for that. When the show, when they show Randy's donut shop, there's a modern-style gas station in the background. During the scene in which Veda and Nick are speaking to the director on a studio backlot, it is quite clear that the distinctive show building for Back to the Future of the Ride is visible on top of the hill in the background. The ride, which is located on Universal Studios' upper lot, was not constructed until 92. Yes! 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 This is a big one, guys! I, if you look at that movie poster, you look at that movie poster on IMDb, right? The film is set in 1974. Yet, yet, guys, the kids are wearing modern clothes from the 90s on a theatrical poster. Bam! Yes! Let's look at that poster, shall we? Oh my goodness, gosh. Look at this. Crazy. Especially Austin O'Brien. That's a 90s shirt if I ever saw one. We got, like, faded red striped blue shirt with some, like, 90s, like, boy necklace, teen boy necklace, and just, ugh. And even her, Veda, with this, like, is she supposed to be wearing overalls and, like, a thermal long sleeve shirt with a, almost looks like one of those Rastafarian colorful hats or something. I don't know. It's just, Wow. I just, you look at that poster, guys. You go on IMDb right now and you look at that poster and you don't, you tell me that is 90s. Come on now. I mean, if they could get it right in the My Girl poster with Macaulay Culkin and, you know, Anna Klumsky wearing the 70s clothes, why, they clearly didn't give a rat's crack. They didn't fucking care. They did not care. Guys, you already know, if you're listening, you've been listening to this podcast for a while, this is rated E for expletive. So, yeah. Let me go back. I don't think there's that many goofs, guys. I don't want to bore you to death with the goofs. I want to kind of get into the 
the movie. Factual errors. In the first movie, My Girl, Harry mentions that the last date he went on was 20 years ago. However, in this movie, it is revealed to be about 14, 15 years ago. Due to him meeting Maggie, proposing on the second date, and nine months later, Veda was born. Veda is about 13 years old in My Girl 2. Near the beginning of the movie, when Veda and Harry go bowling, and Veda rolls her strike, just as the ball touches one of the pins, you can see that all the pins were yanked backward, as if attached to... Uh, as if strings were attached to each of the pins. Real quick, we'll do the uh, soundtrack credits. We got Our House. It's a very, very, very fine house with two cats in the yard. Um, was it like life used to be so hard? Something. Okay, okay. Um, Rockin' Pneumonia and the Boogie Woogie Flu by Johnny Rivers. This song I sung during my seventh grade choir con- spring choir concert in 1995. Locomotion by Grand Funk Railroad, Baby Love, um, Brian Holland, and, well, it doesn't say who performed it. Didn't the Supremes, Donna Ross, right? Benny and the Jets by Elton John, Tiny Dancer, Elton John, a lot of Elton John, Reason to Believe, Tim Harden, Swingtown, we got Smile by Charlie Charles Chaplin, Doctor My Eyes, Jackson Brown, Don't Worry Baby, Brian Wilson, The Beach Boys, Walk Away, Renee by Michael Brown, Tony, blah, 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 blah. We got My Girl, of course, I got to get that in there. All My Lovin' by Paul McCartney. All right. I don't know about you guys. I'm ready to dive into this movie, man. I am. I Guys, I'm ready. I mean, I figure, hey. Kids can't go on spring break right now. Pretty much, they have an extended summer break at this point, right? Let's go with Veda. Let's go from Philadelphia to L.A. Let's go with Veda on her spring break, because that's what this movie's on her during her spring break, her one week. So, hey, let's go with Veda. Let's go on a plane ride. Let's go to L.A. Let's be, like, amazed at all... She's never been on a plane before, so this is all new to her. She's taking in the sights, the sounds, and... I'm ready. I hope you guys are ready, too. Let's do this. Seems like we do have the same composer as the last one, because when Columbia Pictures comes up, we do get that familiar My Girl score. That You you know, the kind that kind of tugs on your heartstrings? That one, yeah. I think we might even get, in the beginning, a little Veda... Sultanfuss fourth wall breaking, too. Yes, we do! Veda sitting in at the kitchen table in a chair. She's going to give us an update on her life and where she's been in the last two years, what's going on in her family. Shelly's her new stepmom, and they have a little... This family is growing by one more. Let's play this clip. I remember before I was born, wadded up like a furball in the highly overrated fetal position. Luckily, I'm not claustrophobic. On rainy days, I still feel tightness in my left shoulder. So now that my stepmother's pregnant, I understand what the baby's going through. And I'm not jealous at all. Really, not at all. Hey, you're not eating your meatloaf. If I eat it, I'll throw up. Well, you should at least try a little bit. (laughs) Then I'll throw up a little bit. Are you sure you want to get involved in this? much Vita just talks about how she remembers being born which has got to be hard to believe because who remembers that she just remembers being like a like cocooned in a soft little blanket all curled up like a kitten and how 
she still feels a little stiffness in her shoulder on rainy days, like she's got pre-arthritis or something for a teenager, I don't know. Um, and she, the camera pulls back, we see her sitting at the table with her dad and Shelly, and he's made meatloaf. Shelly's about ready to pop. She's got probably, what, another month left of pregnancy. And she's just, the morning sickness is just, Definitely Shelly's hair. Um, it was like long and like dark brown. Now it's more of kind of a, like a honey brown color and it's more like at her shoulders. And I just like, eh, I don't really care for it. It's okay. And of course, hair's like, honey, eat your meatloaf. Just a little bit of it. And Shelly is kind of acting like a big kid. Like, I don't want to eat my meatloaf. If I eat a little bit, I'm going to throw up a little bit. It's like, oh, okay. I love how when Shelly goes to throw her dinner away, I love how Veda, like, puts her hand on the baby's belly, like, are you sure you want to get involved in this? <laughs> are you sure you want to enter this family, baby? Gendered to be unknown at this mo- time until the end of the movie. So we see the title card, My Girl 2, pop up. Then we see a street shot of the Saltonfuss parlor. Notice how it still doesn't say Saltonfuss funeral parlor, Pretty much everyone in that town knows it's a funeral parlor. And it's got the largest wraparound porch I've ever seen in my life. Madison, Pennsylvania, 1974. Okay, we do get a uh, date stamp there. Time and place. So, of course, we got to get the other cast members in there because it only had enough room to get the main cast in there. And now we're going to play our house while Richard name Richard Mazer's name pops up. So Harry's setting up for a funeral. You can't even walk into this um, room with a casket. There are so many flowers. This lady was very, I think, yeah, it's a lady. Because um, he's like doing a little touches on the hair. Here he is because it's an open casket. And he's pumping out the Our House song, singing along to it. And I'm just like, is this going to be playing during the funeral? Wouldn't that be interesting if they like, had like a soundtrack to the funeral? Okay, clarification, that is a woman in there. That is not a man. Veda, of course, is helping out. And you know that Harry is very particular about when it comes to setting up for a funeral. He's like, honey, try to scrunch these chairs together more. And of course, it's like, dad, they're chairs. They don't scrunch. You could just take the chairs out and like put bean bags here and just have people sit in bean bags if you'd rather because those scrunch together. So they're clearly expecting a big crowd for this one lady. And he's like, Well, we can always put chairs in the library and just um put speakers out there so that way other people can be it's like, no, they want to be in the room with the person that passed. Don't shove them in a library somewhere. This house has got a bazillion rooms. Um, Arthur's still there, still working for Harry. It's only been about a couple years, so. It's not like he's moved on, but Uncle Phil. I'm kind of curious, like, once we get out to L.A., kind of why he, I think he just wanted to change the pace. Maybe, like, Harry's driving me nuts. You know, I think he kind of just stayed by to hang out, keep an eye on Harry, make sure he's helping Veda raise her right, and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, good, you're married? I'm out of here. I'm jetting out to L.A. See ya. Can't stand the snow. I'm out of here. I don't like this girl. This Judy. Judy number two, I'll call her. Why in the world did she come over 
if she's just going to stand outside the doorway. I know that Veda's setting up for a funeral, but seriously, girl. It's like it's not like the, the corpse is going to climb out of the coffin and like run over there and grab you. All Pet cemetery Zelda style. Oh. And, and Veda's like, hey, come on in. It's just a corpse. It ain't going to bite you. And Jody, Judy, Judy number two, is like, oh, I know that. Like, Ugh. And of course, Veda's got to go into TMI about what happens. You should see a body that's been dead for a couple days. It looks like a raisin with, like, fat feet and arms or something. She's really graphic and gross. It's like, Veda, TMI. Because before she even finishes telling the story, like, oh, this one, they had to go get this body from an apartment and it had been there for like a month and it was just rotting and decaying and cats were eating on it. I don't know. It's just really, really nasty. And it's just like, ugh. Arthur's like, hey, um, you may as well save your breath because Judy left. I don't even want to hear that crap, Vader. Shush. Gonna go and tell that to the, the, the funeral people that come in. Oh, by the way, you want to know what happens when we find a body that's been, like, in an apartment for a month? And what happens to the body and how it decays and rots and parts fall off and stuff like that? No, that's a person's loved one. I mean, she's not saying about that lady in particular, but you know what I mean. TMI, Veda. You gotta learn when to uh, keep that stuff to yourself. Oh, sh- Veda calls the... Uh, a. A body that's been decomposing for a bit. A raisin with four fat legs. Ew! Of course, in My Girl, they were watching Archie Bunker. And this time around, they're watching the Partridge family. And the red-headed boy. Don't know what his name is. Mr. Carrot Top there. Um, is that Danny Bonaducci? It's Danny Bonaducci, right? Yeah. Redhead. Um, he's got, a, like, a rat or a mouse or something. He's like, hey, did you hear that, Dean? You can stay. And, of course, Keith, who looks high as a fucking kite, is like, Dean? And Danny Bonaducci's all like, hey, yeah, look at his eyes. They're red. Wh- which means, what, Dean Martin's, like, a on the sauce all the time? Get a close-up of the rat, the white rat's face, and it's, like, a white rat with, like, pink eyes. What the that is not a hamster, you old troll! I I don't... We're seeing the sub... Thank the Lord for the subtitles. Um, Harry and Shelly are just laughing their asses off because the Partridge family is like the end-all, be-all, laugh-my-ass-off sitcom, apparently. Um, but they're all setting up... The Partridge kids setting up the cage. Where's the bathroom? Hamsters don't go to the bathroom. That was a fucking rat. Don't you dare lie and say that's a hamster. I have a hamster. She didn't look anything like that thing. That is a fucking rat. Okay, let's move on from the partridge and the rat. Okay, um, I know it's 1974 and pot is illegal, but what is with Shelly's just, like, finding this thing to be the funniest thing since sliced bread? So, we get the Uncle Phil name drop here, of course. I think this is eventually going to spur into what's going to come along. Harry says they got a postcard from your Uncle Uncle Phil out in L.A. He uh, says he went body surfing. So, what is body surfing? That's not flinging your body into the water and just letting the tide take you away, is it? Or is it like you're on a boogie board? 
and you're throwing your body in the boogie board onto a wave and letting it, like, carry you away or up a tide or whatever. I, I don't see clearly my words, you can tell I don't surf. So, or I, I, I don't go into lakes. I, I prefer a, um, a pool where I can see my feet. Um, <laughs> but of course, Veda is like, oh, I can't picture Uncle Phil body surfing. I love Shelly's like, you know, I don't think I want to picture him body surfing. <laughs> oh, here we go. You know about the baby, right? Salt and Fusses are having a new family member coming into the, the house. Um, they, the house is so fucking big. I don't even see why this is a problem. It's not so much that they don't have room. It, it's because of where Veda's room is located. Right next to Harry and Shelley's. And, of course, how many of you start a conversation with, Hey, I have a favor to ask. Feel free to say no if you want to. Do any of you start when you ask someone for something? You say, oh, but you can completely say no if you want to, you know, before I ask. Um, they want to see if she might be willing to take Grandma's room instead and give up her room. And when Harry mentions the favor, we see Shelly kind of eyeing Harry over Veda's head like, Honey, you've been talked about this. Why are you bringing this up? We decided not to do this. Because at this point, guys, if you don't already know, Grandma in two years between the first and the second movie sadly passed on. You saw in the first movie she was not mentally well. She had Alzheimer's, maybe even dementia, and clearly... She was called home. So, of course, I mean, I get it. They want to have the baby close by. Why wouldn't you just set up, like, a little bassinet in your room for a little bit? And then... She's already adjusting to having a new sibling. And being kind of crowded out by a new sibling but also to add on to the fact that oh now that we have a new baby coming in and we'll give the baby all this attention we also want you to move to a different room down the hall how far is away is grandma's room grandma's room Oy. you can't walk like a few feet i get it i get it it's a baby Babies, you know, they need a lot especially in the first like six months you know they need to be fed Every hour on the hour, two hours, I don't know. I don't have kids. And Veda, of course, her response is, you want me to move? And Harry's like, oh, well, not far, just down the hall. Yes, because your ass can't walk down the hall to take care of your baby every two hours. Come on. I'll say, set up a bassinet in your room, a rocking chair, you're right by the baby, you can milk the baby, you know, nurse it, whatever, however, whatever you call it, nursing, milking, that kind of thing. And you're golden for a few months. It's not like you're not going to hear the baby cry in the next room. How d different is it going to be if it's in the room, if the baby's in the room with you? Oh, yeah, he's trying to give, like, perks as to benefits to, if you move to Grandma's room, it's bigger, and it has a view of the whole neighborhood. Whew. What do you think of that, Veda? Of course, Veda just sucks it up. Like, okay, no problem. <laughs> uh, first a baby, now I gotta move. So, Harry, of course, we get a return of the tuba when he was playing for Grand Moo. Now he's out on the porch, 
probably pissing off the neighbors. The dogs are barking. No one's getting any sleep right now. And, of course, Shelly's going to talk to him, most likely, about, I really wish you you would like you agreed that we weren't going to do this and you really need to be paying attention to Veda. You know, this is big for her. She's got a new sibling coming. We're not going to have as much time to focus on her. We'll be focusing on the baby. Yeah. I like how Shelly is definitely taking Veda's side in this because she says, look, we react. I think Veda's upset. We react to every kick this baby makes. Referring to her stomach. And... She says, maybe Veda's trying to tell us something, too. Yeah, that she doesn't want to move, like, down the hall to a new room. Oh, Harry decides, hey, let's do a little father-daughter bonding. We'll go down to the bowling alley. I'll get you some fried onion rings. It's going to be great. Oh, he's all about visualizing. Like, oh, the thing to remember is you must visualize a spare. Why don't you just try for a strike? But I get it. Visualizing a spare because you want to get that spare. The only bowling I do is on the the Wii. That's my bowling. Okay, so here's where the locomotion song comes in because he's bowling. It's giving her like a physics lesson or something like the parabola of the arching ball must intersect with the pyramid of the pins. Ugh. It's precisely this angle of attack. And it's a gutter ball. The two pins that he's got to try to hit are spaced so far apart that it's like a one in a million chance that you would get the one pin to knock into the other. This is back in the day when you had to write everything on a damn sheet. Ugh. So, Veda's not an idiot. She knows her dad brought her out here to talk. She's like, Dad, seriously. Okay, you passed up Archie Bunker to go bowling. So, spill your guts. Better her because he's like, oh, I just thought it'd be nice if the two of us can go out and talk. And I'd be like, if I were her, I'd be like, uh, you took a whole summer before you could actually sit down and talk to me about my mother's death and when Thomas J died. So, and most of the summer you avoided me. And all of a sudden you want to talk. Of course, Shelly already told her all about sex. And <laughs> Harry's like, oh yeah, she told me too. Was he that out of fucking practice with sex that she had to give him step-by-step uh, -step instructions? Like, first you disrobe, then you take your penis, then you put it in my vagina, and then out pops a baby nine months later. I don't know. <laughs> oh, now he's clarifying. Oh, I mean, she told me. She told you about sex. Yeah, right. You needed, um, you needed her to give you step-by-step -step instruction. Sir. He's like, oh, well, I personally knew about sex before I met Shelly. And of course, Veda's like rolling her eyes like, duh, dad, that would explain why I'm standing here talking to you, wouldn't it? I love the color of Veda's bowling ball. It's like kind of a dark blue mixed with a, like a light blue. And it's really, really pretty. But it does kind of look like maybe they were pulled by strings. So it's pretty much all about, you know, him hoping that she's, like, getting her to be okay with giving up her room. And he's like, she's like, no, it's it's okay. And he's like, oh, well, that's very mature of you. And then when she gets up to bowl again, she's like, oh, well, I'm 13. Maybe it's about time I start looking for my own apartment. And, wait, or no, maybe, he, I think it's he goes up to bowl and she says that and he ends up, like, 
the ball like falls from his hands and starts rolling backwards. And I remember that part from like the TV spot where she's like, hey, I'm 13. Maybe it's about time I start looking for my own apartment. And me as like a 12, 13 year old at the time was thinking, uh, I don't know why I thought that could actually be a doable thing. Like, oh, hell no. You're 13. You ain't getting no apartment by yourself, girl. What are you nuts? You ain't got no job. Oh, before she mentions the whole apartment, 13-year-old, she's like, maybe I should move to China. One kid per family. That way you don't lose your own. Look, just admit that you're wanting, that you're upset. He knows she's upset, but she's doing this, like, passive-aggressive type of behavior that it's like, we get it. You don't want to lose your room. All right, now we're done with the whole bowling father-daughter bonding time. Now we're going to move to some dollar store cheap shit looking perfume that Veda and Judy number two are looking at. Of course, Judy's weighing in on the whole baby situation. Like, oh, my mother can't have any more kids. My guess is she clearly got uh, her tubes tied. And of course, Veda's like, neither can mine. She's dead. Why does Veda have to clarify? Oh, it's Shelly who's pregnant. I thought Judy knew that situation. Why? Unless she's affirming for us, the audience, that never saw the first movie. I mean, you don't go into My Girl 2 and then like, I guess I should go watch the first movie. No, you see My Girl 1 and then you watch this movie. The girls are trying on perfume. One of them is passion flower. Combines a traditional floral scent with the musky aroma of sandalwood. There was um a, lo- a suave lotion. I don't even know if they make it anymore. But it was like like 2003 or something. And it was like kind of in like a reddish pink bottle. And it was cinnamon and sandalwood. And I kid you not. It smelled absolutely divine. Like if I could have found a body wash of that. I would have used it. And let me tell you, I have an amazing collection of Bath and Body Works body wash. Like, all the scents that are great for seasonal, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving. One in particular is really good in the fall is Bonfire Bash. It re- really smells good. So, of course, they're 13. Judy is uh, turning out to be a real uh, a guy magnet. She's really into the guys. Veda hasn't gotten to that point yet. Because while they're there trying on the perfume, she overhears, she sees Kevin who looks like a jock. Of course, he's got this 70s long hair. This guy, look at this guy. Go rent, go get this movie. I, you can get it on Amazon, wherever. Look at this Kevin. He looks like he could be a dead ringer for Almanza Wilder. It's not Dean Butler, mind you. But if Dean Butler ever had a TV movie made about his life, this guy, back in 1994, could have played a young Dean Butler starting out in acting. Uh, he, He looks it. He really, really looks it. Well, of course, Judy's like, oh my gosh, he's coming over. Oh, oh, act natural. Put these sunglasses. <laughs> Veda puts on these humongous sunglasses. So it almost feels like now there's a dividing line between Veda and Judy. Judy's maturing. She's getting into guys. Like I said, Veda's not there at that point. And Judy just 
becomes a real bitch and she starts hanging. We find out that Kevin's an asshole too. It's like, you fuckers deserve each other. We'll get into that. But he must be a jock because he's wearing one of those fucking letter- Letterman jackets. So Judy's like, oh, hi, Kevin. He's like, oh, hey. And it's like, oh, look at Veda Saltonfuss, the grasshopper. Because she's wearing these gigantic white banded sunglasses. Or white frame sunglasses. With like They're like yellow, yellowish dark frames. I'm not frames. I'm sorry. The, the white part. The frames are white. The lenses inside are like have a yellow tint to it. Like I know it's supposed to be like 1974 and everything. It's really fun. It's gonna rain again today. Um, but I like how she like turns to face him and kind of tilts her head sideways. Like, hey, look at me. <laughs> I'm wearing sunglasses. Two boys that are with Kevin, like, pale in comparison. They're just like, Bruch. I mean, yes, Kevin is cute in his own right, but... Mm. Here we go! Oh my goodness, I am hoping that we are getting so far away from this. The whole, oh, he just teases you because he likes you. Because that's what Judy's like, oh my gosh, he likes you. And Veda's like, what? He said I look like a grasshopper. And, of course, Judy's like, well, that's what boys do. They insult you because they secretly are in love with you. And it's like, fuck off! Fuck off with this mentality! It's bullshit! Thank the Lord that kids today are hopefully realizing what's appropriate reactions, interactions between a boy and a girl. They sure as fuck are not going to like you because they're insulting your ass. They're just being pieces of shit. Okay, I'm moving on from this scene. But I'm very irritated by this mentality. I don't care if it's 1974. We need to definitely nowadays get away from that type of thinking. For if girls today are going to have any respect for themselves down the road. See, Quinn's hanging out. My cat, Quinn, hanging out. She's voicing her opinion. Quinn, do you agree with what I just said? Is that a yes? Okay. She's like, what? Why are you talking to me? I'm not co-hosting. <laughs> She's like turning away from me. <laughs> Crazy cat. Mew! Mew! Oh, you goofball. I love how she's got her, like, tail, like, curled around her two front feet. That's adorable. Okay, moving on. Veda's, like, kind of turns it on her on its head real quick. Like, oh, so if you really can't stand someone, you act like you're crazy about them? Okay. Judy, you are such a mixed bag right now. She's like, oh, I don't care. He's a jerk. I don't like him anymore. He's all yours. Like, what the fuck would I want with him for? We, <laughs> just like the first movie, we do get a bit of Veda dialogue. Now we're going to go to Arthur and Harry and Shelly are all helping Veda like clear out her room. And of course, Veda wants to propose this question to them. Like, all right, I want to get some other minds on this subject of if a boy likes you, does he act like he hates your guts or something like that? Or does he insult you, but he secretly likes you? So this is fun. Another thing is... Harry and Shelly are trying to come up with baby names. And listen to the one that, the one for a girl that Shelly comes up with. Because if you listen to it, think about, think about 2000, what, 12? Think about 
a particular book to movie franchise that was out at the time and see if that rings any bells. So have you guys thought of any new names for the baby? Um, yeah, if it's a girl, I'm kind of leaning toward Esme. Esme? Yeah, you know, that kind of sounds like a noise your nose makes. <laughs> Esme. I mean, it's... And what if it's a boy? Well, Harry Jr., of course. Yeah, the baby doesn't Dad, get a toy. when a boy likes you, does he pretend that he doesn't like you? And if he pretends that he doesn't like you, how can you tell that he likes you? What boy likes you? It's just a question. It's not about anybody. Uh-oh, here comes puberty. Veda, I think what you're talking about is the fear of rejection. See, men will do anything to avoid looking foolish. Oh, Shell, that's ridiculous. Where are my needle nose pliers? Listen, if a boy wants to do homework with you, it really means he didn't have the nerve to ask you out on a date. So you'll get your homework together and pretend to be studying, and the next thing you know, you're ordering pizza and talking about your favorite movie stars. So you're saying... What are you saying? Honey, um... Guys don't want to appear over-anxious. So if you think there's a boy that might like you, let him know that you like him so he won't feel he's taking such a risk when he's thinking of asking you out. Okay? Okay, we do get when um, Arthur brings up, like, hey, you thought of any names for the baby? We get Veda kind of giving Arthur, like, a side-eye glare. Like, okay, um, we're cleaning up my room right now because I'm moving down the hall. Can we not bring up the baby? This clearly has got to be a different set. Well, of course. But I don't remember Veda having, like, three little, you know, little windows next to each other that had the blinds. She had, like, one big window, I thought. I don't know. Of course, if it's a girl, Shelly wants to name her Esme. And I'm just thinking of Twilight. With, um, you know, Carlisle and Esme, and then, of course, when Edward and Bella have a kid. Spoiler alert. Guys, come on. It's been over. It's been 12 years now. If you haven't read it, I I can't help you. Well, actually, if you think about it, it's been 12 years since the, the first movie came out, almost. But it's been 15 years, almost, since the book was published. I think it was 2005. Um, and she calls their baby Renesme because her mother's name is Renee, his foster mother, if you want to call her that, adoptive mother is Esme, so it's a combination of, of the two names. And Harry, of course, is like, oh that sounds like something your noise mate your nose makes. Like, Esme, Esme. like what? And of course, if it's a boy, he wants to name the baby Harry Jr. How about Harold Jr. or I don't know what don't you think that a baby kind of get like lucks out on a name because the parent wants to give it the baby like the name of the father? I don't know. Maybe that's just me talking. That's probably just me talking. Of course, Veda voices her opinion on what do you do if a boy likes you? Like, or if he's picking on you, does that mean he likes you? And of course, Harry right away is like, what? What boy likes you? Give me names. And Veda's like, it's a rhetorical question. And I noticed we get another throwback to the first movie. Remember when she was doing that little personality test with Thomas J, like, feeling, like, the bumps in his, like, head? And then she goes over to this, like, mannequin head thing that's got, like, all these different, like, lines crossing its, like, 
scalp with words and stuff. Because she's holding that. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool throwback. I like that. Here's how she poses the question. When a boy likes you, does he pretend that he doesn't like you? And if he pretends not to like you, how do you tell he likes you? I was like, oh my gosh. Shelly, of course, I wouldn't be posing this question to your dad and Arthur. Definitely Shelly is the go-to. She's like, look, if a boy wants to do homework with you, it means he's too scared to ask you out on a date. So he invites you over for homework. You got your homework all spread out. But you're not actually talking about homework. You're not actually doing the homework. You're talking about... Your favorite movies, your movies, favorite movie stars, television shows, you're having pizza. It's great, right? It's like a hangout. And there's no stress because it's not a date. It's just you hanging out, just talking, you know, what teens talk about. And the one good advice here that Harry does give is the fact that, like, guys don't want to appear over anxious. So if you like him, let him know so that way he doesn't feel like he's going to get let down if you reject him. Even Shelly's, like, the whole fear of rejection thing, too, is is really big. Like, guys don't... Mm, no one wants to be rejected by and admit to their crush that they like them and then find out that they don't. And she's like, ugh. Rockin' pneumonia and the boogie-woogie fluids playing as Veda is riding to Judy's house. Judy number two. And boy, oh boy, did she get a surprise there. Judy's house is, on the outside, it's just her mother must really be into having someone do a lot of landscaping. Well, actually, some of the, I don't know. But it's just a lot of flowers, stuff like that. So, Vanya invites Judy to come and pick out wallpaper for a new room. Of course, Judy is acting really awkward and suspicious because she's like kind of got the door kind of closed with her face like in the doorway not letting veda see behind the door um i'd be a little suspicious myself if i were veda or judy number two just say you don't want to fucking go she's like oh i don't know i mean and then of course the door slowly opens wider and we see kevin with a vitamin milk carton saying hey uh is it okay if i drink this and of course veda's like oh well it's okay with me kevin just looks at her and says oh look it's veda the grasshopper it's like fuck off kevin why did i invite your ass over here again and i'd be like veda or why i keep judy number two the fuck you said you hated his ass. Why is he at your fucking house? I mean, it's not like Veda's interested or anything, but shit. Like, oh, we're just, like, um, doing, and Veda's like, okay, I'm going to stop you right there. I don't need to know disgusting, gross-ass details about what you and Kevin are doing. Uh, I'm sure you're going to, like, talk about your favorite movie stars, even though you say you're doing homework and you're going to order pizza and all this shit. Goodbye, Judy. We never see her fucking ass again. Thank the Lord. I hate her ass. I want Judy number one. Can we get her back, please? Because I want Judy number one. Judy number two's a fucking bitch. No. Oh, excuse me, guys. No, we do get another scene of Judy number two when we cut to school. So, yeah. So, of course, her dad's advice didn't work. In the future, I think I'll stick to asking dad for advice on embalming. If you got uh, questions about, but what questions does she really have about funeral stuff? I mean, she's been in this funeral home forever. Um, she could probably even help embalm bodies at this point. Because I don't think she's scared of the basement anymore. 
You know how in the first movie, Veda always had her hair mostly up in a ponytail? Now she's got it up in a braid. Sometimes we will see it, like, pushed back with that, like, a hairband or something. I think once it's, like, in pigtails or something. Um, I think that's what it was in the drugstore. But, um, yeah, she's walking out, reading a book. We hear Shelly singing Baby Love while Harry has got the tuba. Of course, you know, playing music for the baby. I guess that's, like, supposed to be really good. Like, you're connecting with the baby and singing to the baby. Maybe he'll be a singer. Songwriter, who knows? So, they definitely want to emphasize that Shelly's boobs are getting bigger because she's pregnant. Because they got... <laughs> they got uh, Jamie Lee Curtis rocking a... What is this? It just looks like she's walking around wearing a nightgown for the majority of the movie. Which <laughs> uh, she kind of is. Um, and her boobies are like almost out on display. It's like... We get it. She's an expected mother. Her boobs are going to look engorged. Okay. So, back in 1974, they didn't have the internet to, like, Google a bunch of stuff in regards to unborn babies and what you can do to kind of help. Shelly read an article probably in a magazine, you know, Baby Magazine or Mothers-to-Be or Parenting 101 magazine. I don't know what magazines in the 70s focused on parenting. I'm sure there must have been at least a couple of them. Uh, maybe Family Circle, Good Housekeeping, I'm not sure. Um, she said she read an article that singing to the baby is very calming. <clears throat> um, and of course, she's like, oh, I bet your mom sang to you, Veda. And of course, Harry, we get a little info on Maggie Soltenfuss. Veda's mom that, oh, well, if there was an article about it, I bet she did. Oh, she definitely, Maggie Saltonfuss was a reader, much like Veda, clearly runs in the family. And this name comes back. It's the collect, the book is the collected works of Alfred Biedermeyer, and that name will return in a bit. She's definitely into poetry. You remember when she read the Willow Tree poem and we all bawled our eyes out at the end of the movie of my girl so there's that of course you've never heard of him shelly <laughs> i'm not saying i'm not putting shelly down mind you but i don't know do you think shelly's a reader do you think she likes to read i don't know she definitely has gas out of the mouth though <laughs> she covers her mouth like oh excuse me <laughs> yeah pregnancy craving here um glass of milk and some taco chips i'm guessing like tostitos chips so she can dunk them in milk. That's not the worst thing I've like heard or read online. Because you know I have the internet and they don't. So I can look up stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I want to play this little clip between Shelly and Veda. As they're talking about boobs and bras and stuff like that. It's just, it's cute. It's a cute, like, you know, stepmother to stepdaughter chat about, you know, girl things. You know, Veda, being an older sister, you're going to be very important in this baby's life. <laughs> They're enormous, I know. <laughs> Is there milk in them already? No, the milk comes when the baby comes. <sighs> when did you, um... <laughs> I mean, um... Oh. I was a very late developer. They used to call me Shelly Tubex. 
All my friends had real bras, not like the training ones I had. Why do they call them training bras? It's not like learning to ride a bike. I know. I guess it's just sort of preparing you for the rest of your life. It's not easy being a woman. You're telling me. Yeah, they're talking about boobs and training bras and Veda's like, I don't see why they're called training bras. It's not like you're trying to, you know, learn to ride a bike and everything. And, of course, I like how Veda's a little nervous as she's, like, asking about, like, Veda, or, um, Veda's asking Shelly about how and she's kind of hard, kind of, like, hard getting the words out and Shelly's, oh, well, uh, I was a late bloomer. They used to call me Shelly Twobacks. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't mention periods because uh, well, that was brought up in the first movie. I'm like, it's been a couple years. I'm sure Veda's used to periods by now. I don't think you ever get used to periods, to be honest. Uh, 40 plus years of periods. Ugh. The whole thing with the bras and the boobs, like, Veda's kind of looking at Shelly's, you know, chest that's partially out on display. In her nightgown. And of course, Shelly's like, oh, I know they're enormous, aren't they? And of course, she says that the milk doesn't come until the baby does. So, again, as I've said, I've never been pregnant. I don't know. That's most likely true, I would imagine. I mean, why is the milk going to sit in your boobs for nine months until the baby comes? It's going to be spoiled. I don't know. I don't see. I don't know. I've never been pregnant. Get Veda laying in bed, arms behind her head, just kind of thing. She's clearly not dressed for bed because she's wearing probably what she wore that day. But she's contemplating, she never knew her mother, how she wishes, you know, she could just see her mother even if it was just in a dream. That You know, all these conflicting feelings about, you know, she's going to be a big sister, there's responsibility there, her spot in the family is kind of shifting... All that stuff. So now we're going to jump into school. We have like a journalism class, an English class. Let me tell you, this teacher is no Mr. Bixler. He is not Mr. Bixler at like even remotely. As he's reading the pro, uh, the poem, go into, do not go into that great, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Yes, that's by Dylan Thomas. Of course, he's trying to get the class to participate in analyzing the poem. What was the poet trying to say? Of course, you get some dumbass answer by some kid. Like, oh, someone turned off his electricity. <laughs> of course, Kevin's got to pipe up. Oh, they were mad because he shut off his electricity. <laughs> and of course, the teacher's like, no, he was referring to life energy, Mr. Phillips, which you are sorely lacking in. Oh, he says, which in your case wouldn't cause much of a power shortage. <laughs> yeah, that kid needs to be brought down a peg. There is a picture on that blackboard of Richard Nixon. So, Veda gives her expertise because, you know, she loves poems. <coughs> Excuse me. And she's just saying it's about not giving up and just keep going. And she says, embracing destiny, not choice. And, of course, the teacher is very impressed with her. She is definitely a good student who cares about the craft of the art of the written word. Okay, the kid in front in this class is wearing a similar shirt to that of Austin O'Brien in the theatrical plus. It's just, it's supposed to be 1974, right? See, so you're wearing the same type of a, a striped shirt that you'd see on a 90s kid. 
Well, this is where the teacher goes on to talk about a writing assignment, about someone that you admire, someone interesting, someone who's achieved something worth writing about. But it's got to be a stranger, someone you've never met. Well, clearly that door is wide open to a plethora of people. I mean, the fact that it's got to be a stranger, someone you've never met, that could be anybody. The main goal is it's got to be someone who's achieved something, not sure what that something is, and someone you've never met. Of course, Kevin raises his hand and is like, Elvis, the king. You would say that, wouldn't you, Kevin? Devin, of course, goes with Farrah Fawcett because he loves to watch that girl run. Like, why? Even the teacher's like, why? And the kid's like, uh, uh, I don't know. He sits back down embarrassed. Yeah, we know. And, of course... The writers didn't care about continuity as far as the times and everything like that. They figure, I mean, we didn't have the internet really too, too much when this came out, so no one was going sleuthing for facts. Of course, the boy who plays Devin, you would probably recognize him. He played Brian Krakow on My So-Called Life. You cannot miss that frizzy, curly head of hair of his. It just, poof, expands outward. Hey, I'm going to play Veda's answer when the teacher asks her what she would like to come up with. Come up with my mother. Your mother? I never met my mother. Yeah, that got awkward now. <laughs> I know my mom's favorite color was pink, and she ate peanut butter and banana sandwiches for breakfast. But that's not what I would call hard-hitting facts. I told you about the pumpkin, didn't I? No. <laughs> well, I bought her this huge pumpkin for Halloween. But she couldn't bear to carve it, so she saved it for weeks and it ended up under the Christmas tree. Thank you, Moose, that on Christmas Eve, there was this sickening smell permeating the entire house. Oh, no. Yeah, when I picked it up, it sort of exploded and liquefied at the same time. <laughs> it wasn't funny. It's so clear through Grandma's Oriental. <laughs> There's still a big spot on the floor. <laughs> okay, we wallpaper paste. Hey, Cease. Um, was there anything else you remember? How did you propose? Was it romantic? Oh, I kind of just blurted it out over a root beer float. Mm, root beer float, that sounds good. It does sound Did good, she mentioned any contests that she won. I mean, she must have had some awards. Yeah, you were just a talented. You know, shit about she her? was talented. But honey, I wish I could help you a little more. It's just that your mother and I had kind of a whirlwind courtship. She came to town with this traveling theater group. I proposed on our second date. Two weeks later, we were married, and... Almost nine months later, you were here and she was what gone. How did she see in your eyes? Oh, yes. Lovely funeral. Grinaldi Brothers did a beautiful job. Lots of pink roses. I used the white hearse. Hey, how about this flowered wallpaper for your room? That looks ugly. How about this? Black. Because I'm a teenager. So, like I said, the teacher calls on her. She's like, uh, my mother. I've never met my mother. Immediately, everyone turns around and looks at her. I'm like, oh, it got hella awkward fast. Um, then we kind of move from that scene into, excuse me, Veda doing what little research she can, you know, asking her dad questions. And the fact that she only knows her mother liked peanut butter and banana sandwiches, which, cool, um... And her favorite color was pink. Which is what she used to paint Veda's room because she was pretty sure she was going to have a girl. And of course, Veda's like, I can't, that's not enough to do a report on. 
And her dad doesn't give her a whole hell of a lot of facts either. It's like, do you have anything else on my mother? He's like, well, no. I mean, she traveled with, like, she came into town with this traveling theater group. We dated for two weeks. I asked her to marry me on my on our second date over root beer floats. What the fuck did she say in Harry? I'd like to know. He is such He's a boring ass individual. What in the fuck? And we see like video of Maggie Saltonfuss well before she became Maggie Saltonfuss. She's just this bright, poppy, energetic person. And you just look at Harry Saltonfuss and I'm just like, the fuck? You're like the most greatest man on the face of the planet. But hey, I mean, he didn't just manage to get Veda's mom. He got Shelly, too. So there's something there. He, he, he's got to be a wild tiger in the bedroom because uh, <laughs> I don't know what else it is. Uh, the quiet types. Like I said, I, I, I go for the quiet type, too. But, God, she is just, like, coming up empty. See, he's got nothing Nothing. Bear report is like bear, brittle bear bones. I was like, hey, Veda, do you want some? Oh, here's some nice like flower wallpaper. What do you think of this? Of course, Veda's like irritated. So she's like, no, how about this black wallpaper? Because she's like 13. <laughs> of course, we do get uh, the talk about the pumpkin that he bought her. He bought Maggie. And of course, she couldn't bear to carve it. <sighs> And it just liquefied and like stunk by Christmas time, and it just it. Grandma had this Oriental rug, and the thing just exploded. Just left a big giant like black mark on their floor. Which we'll get there. We'll get there when um we see that. I'm kind of curious. Does anyone wallpaper rooms anymore? Is it just strictly paint? Or maybe, if anything, if you put a little wallpaper up, it's like going to be like a border around the top or something like that. Vader, of course, is like, well, how do you propose? Was it romantic? And he's like, well, not really. I mean, it was just over a rope beer float. It's like, oh, God. Even your dates sound boring. Is it original at all? Well, he proposed on their second date, and then two weeks later, they were married. So it's kind of a... And then nine months later, she was... So he clearly knocked her up. Like, well, we gotta have a shotgun wedding. We gotta get married. And, um, and of course, nine months later, boom, Maggie's dead. So, she's so like, oh, man. you got What did he see in her? I mean, she's an amazing girl from what we see later. But what is it? Was it about her that he just, he seems like not the kind of guy that would be into a girl that's really bubbly and energetic and, and, and stuff like that. I don't know. But then again, when we see her at the end of this movie in that video, and then if you go back and watch the first movie where Thomas Jane and Vader are in the garage and they find a picture, does, she doesn't even really look like... They don't... Clearly, it's not the same actress, but it's like, my gosh, they didn't even try. Now we're back at school... Veda is, like, stalking her teacher, say, hey, how's it going? He's like, hey, how's your report? You're my star pupil because no one else gives a shit about this assignment except for you. He's like, oh, I have so much to say. I don't know where to start. Which she's lying through her teeth. She's kind of covering herself, covering her ass so she can gather information. Yeah. Of course, 
he the teacher's going to suggest like I've been re- rereading Virginia Woolf. I think she'd be a natural for you. Let her do the thing on her mom, okay? It's going to help her out. It's going to give us a movie. This is a journey that we're going to go on with Veda. Apparently, Virginia Woolf led a fascinating... Is that the same lady? That's not the same lady as the who is, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, is it? Is that the same person? I I don't know. I thought... That's like a play, right? Based on Virginia Woolf's... I, I don't know. I, I don't know about... I thought... I'm thinking of that movie, The Hours, which I never saw, but I thought it had something to do with, like, Nicole Kidman played Virginia Woolf and, like, put rocks in her, like, dress and, like, went to, like, into the the lake or something tried to kill herself um and that's just going based on what i saw in like previews when i worked at the video store they have like little clips from movies that would play and nicole kidman like had this disgusting like uh prosthetic nose and but um that's all i gathered from that good for you vera you stick to researching your mom you could do a thing on virginia wolf whenever it's not a big deal you still have all of high school Judy number two and Kevin. Good golly. What the fuck does Kevin give a fuck? He's like, Veda, he was giving you an easy out so you didn't have to write about your mother. Why didn't you take the easy out? He's like, why do you give a fuck? They're like, Veda, no one cares about your mother. We don't want to have to listen to you do a report on your mother. Why is this guy harping on this fucking shit? She's like, I want to do... A report on my mother. He's like, you're crazy. What was her big achievement? Did she discover uranium? No, he's like, did she invent gravity? It's like, you fucking tard. No, no one invented gravity. Beauty too. shut your fucking face. She's not like, what would your mom do? That's so great. And of course, Veda, ever the um, one to come up with a great backstory for her mother. Well, I'm not supposed to talk about it, but my mother gave birth to me in a Russian prison. It was a spy against the Russians. Of course, Kevin's calling bullshit immediately on that. This is 1974, so this is a little bit before the 80s with the whole, I think it's like the Cold War and the Russians and all that stuff. I get that from Stranger Things. That's how I know about that stuff. I mean, I was born in 82, but I don't remember in class talking about the Russians, so. Okay, she went to Russia undercover with her acting troupe, and then she found out that she was pregnant, and then she had to be shipped home or something. She Just as she was about to go home, she got caught and they killed her. And of course, like, okay, so when did she have you between all of her acting and getting caught and spying and stuff? Basically, she says, oh, well, she went to Russia. Unbeknownst to her, she was pregnant with me. They can't shoot pregnant women anywhere in the world, so they waited to shoot her, and then they shipped me home. What? Even I'm not falling for that fucking shit. Try again, Veda. Oh, no, she says she was born in Siberia, and then they shipped me home. And that's where they shot my mom. Oh, of course, Kevin, I, I kind of like this line. Luckily, we don't see these two assholes after this, thank the Lord, because I can't stand their fucking asses. It's like, Veda, if bullshit were a bra, you'd be top-heavy. Come on, Judy. I'm like, bye, Judy, you're a horrible friend. You can't even stand up to your friend, to this guy that you're... She's more into bobbing up and down on Kevin's dick than being a true friend. I mean, the guy's cute and all, um, but... <sighs> Apparently, Kevin's dick is worth so much that it's worth sacrificing her friendship to Veda over. Okay, bye!
So, of course, like I said, the pumpkin explosion black spot comes back as Veda shows Shelly. It's like almost a Sonfus tradition. Like, since you're part of the family now, you get to be in on this little secret of the pumpkin explosion. The black spot here that's underneath the oriental rug. And Veda says how when she was little, she used to come down and sleep on it. Maybe it made her feel closer to her mother because... Anyway, um, and she's just saying, like, my report's gonna be such a disaster. Because she's got, like, next to fucking nothing on her mom. Other than peanut butter banana sandwiches and the color pink. And that she was in a theater troupe. Uh, that's really, <laughs> that's not gonna help things. So, and she even says, everything I know about her fits in this little itty-bitty box. I was eight pounds, four ounces. <clears throat> There's so many programs. She was in a lot of plays. Dad said that when she was on stage, she held the audience in the palm of her hand. What's this, December 8th, 1958? I don't know. Dad isn't either. Well, must mean something. She was obviously very sentimental. This is one of my favorite things, her passport. Margaret Ann Moldovan, born in Los Angeles, California, February 7th, 1936. Aquarius. Margaret's my male name, but everybody called her Maggie. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Have you ever been there? No. You know, they say that it never rains, mm-hmm. that you can barbecue on Christmas Day. <laughs> Instead of riding your bike, you just surf over to your friend's house. Oh, and the place is just crawling with celebrities. I know someone who saw Walter Matthau picking up his dry cleaning. Is that why Uncle Phil moved there? Uncle Phil just needed a change. A little adventure. I wonder why she got a passport if she never went anywhere. Well, you've got to be prepared. I'm definitely traveling someday. Why not now? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Would you like to go visit your Uncle Phil in Los Angeles next week during your spring vacation? You could do research on your mom. What about you and the baby? You need me. Oh, but I'm not due to have the baby for another six weeks or so. It would be kind of great. It would be fantastic. But Dad will never go for it. You leave your father to me. So, Veda shows Shelley her baby book. She was born in 1961. Just And all these little factoids about uh, her mom like some playbills of the plays that she did and how her dad told her that when her mom was on stage it's like she held the audience in the palm of her hand like she was very captivating and and, and very beautiful lady too and of course the baby but oh veda was like eight pounds uh four ounces or something and it's just yeah, everything she knows about her mom fits in that little box, including, which is going to be a very big mystery. Well, I don't know. Do you want to call it big? But it's going to be something that we don't learn until towards the end of the film. What that date is on that bag. 
May something, 1958. Veda was born in 1961, so that's roughly, what, about three years difference there? So, Of course, Shelly goes over to where Uncle Phil's postcard is tacked up on the wall. Uh, one thing that gets them talking about traveling is Maggie, that's Veda's mom, Maggie Moldovan, has a passport. And I guess she never really went anywhere. And of course, Shelly's like, well, you got to be prepared, you know, in case you do want to go somewhere, especially out of the country. I mean, just because she hadn't went anywhere then didn't mean that she couldn't later, although she passed away before she could. And Veda's like, God, she would love to travel. And Shelly kind of looks at her, looks at the postcard, because they're talking about L.A. and why Uncle Phil moved out there. Maybe he just needed a change. And Shelly's looking at Veda like, why not now? You know, you need to do research on your mom. You know, she was, you know, they read she was born in Los Angeles, California in 1936 and all this. And Shelly gets the idea, like, you know, your spring vacation's coming up, like your spring break. Why don't you go there to L.A.? Visit your Uncle Phil. You can do research on your mom. And Veda's like, wow, that would be amazing, but... I mean, you know, Dad, he's not going to let me go. And I love Shelly's response. You leave your dad to me. Like, oh, yeah. Yes, she is going to. Yeah. So I'm going to play that clip. I love Shelly. Well, I mean, I get that Veda is a little nervous to leave because it's like, what what about you and the baby? I mean, you need me. Shelly's like, honey, it's fine. The baby is not due for at least another six weeks. Her to spread her wings. She can spread her wings right here in Pennsylvania. You don't send a child alone to Los Angeles. She could come back with her ears pierced, her legs shaved, and God knows what she else. She is not a child, Harry. She's a young woman. She's on the brink of disaster. <laughs> disaster lurks behind every palm tree. You're being narrow-minded. Look, yeah, if you want you to I'd be more than happy to bring up. A... Oh, hi, Veda. We were just having a little. You were just having a fight about me. Wouldn't you like to hear my opinion? <laughs> of course. Yeah, right. I think that if I'm old enough to accept a new baby, and if I'm old enough to accept a new room, I'm old enough to go to California. Honey, I know it's fun to think about these things, but... I already bought a ticket. What? Yeah. I used my own money and got a great deal. It's a Q47 NR five-day fare, which means that I have to change planes in Dallas and stay over a Saturday. There's no exchanges or refunds, so if you don't let me go, then I will have wasted my entire life savings. But, but, but Where I, I, go, I, man? Isn't it against the law to sell airline tickets to minors? <laughs> well, yeah. Don't tell me you ate it and abetted this little scheme. Oh, he thought of it. These are signs. Signs that it's time for Veda to take this trip. Signs. <laughs> Let me get the Loch Ness monster on the phone. You two have a lot to talk about. No, I'm sorry. Veda is not going to Los Angeles. Now, I have made my decision, and that is final. Is it? Remember, don't talk to anyone. 
even if a nun sits next to you, don't talk to her. Well, you know, guys, you know Harry's going to be dead set against doing her, Veda doing this. She's 13, it's the 70s, just kids don't do this. It's like, kids younger than her fly when their parents are divorced, having to go back and forth. Granted, they fly with a flight attendant or, or something to that effect, or have someone, like, a charge watch them or somebody. But, it's like, come on, man, just let her do it. And she's like, it's a non-refundable ticket. I pretty much blew my whole life savings on this ticket. Granted, Harry's like, well, wait a minute. No, you couldn't have booked that plane ticket yourself. And he turns to, to, to Shelly like, wait, wait. She needs an adult. So you're telling me that you went and did this without my authorization? And it's like, D- but luckily, I mean, he's, he's like, no, no, I made my decision. She can spread her wings in Philadelphia. And, and Shelly is all about Veda just in, embracing herself. and just She wants to learn about her mother. This isn't just a school assignment. And Shelly even says, with Phil moving to L.A., we got, you know, Grandma passed away. And then now the baby is being born. That is a lot for any kid to... T- to have to deal with, especially all like combined together within the last you know year or so. So he's like, no, no, it's not going to happen. Okay, it's just not. And of course, then we cut to she's at the airport. He's like, no, don't. If a nun sits to you, sits next to you on the plane, don't talk to her. And she's like, all right, gotcha. No nuns. And he's like, uh, no boys. Also, promise me. I don't want you to like get knocked up and you're in a gutter somewhere or something. It's like, she's going for five fucking days. Dude, he is. Ugh. Like, dude, just let her go. But yeah, he's just like, hey, just be careful. You're 13. You're impressionable. You're going to L.A. You know, people, that city will eat you alive. It will eat you alive, basically. He's like, oh, all those L.A. people, they're so corrupt. You'll end up pregnant and on drugs. Well, <laughs> my God, she's 13. <laughs> she's going for five days. She's going to be staying with Uncle Phil and, you know, his girlfriend and, and her kid. It's going to be fine. I get it. It's his only child. He's sending her alone on a plane like half a world away. Well, kind of half a world away. Half, you know, going across the country. It's going to be fine. She's just thinking up the worst case scenarios. Her being pregnant on drugs. Her being in a morgue. Beaten up by a surfer. God damn, dude. Oh, she hugs him says, bye, dad. I'll miss you. And he's like, oh, thanks. And of course, we hear Elton John's. Tiny Dancer playing in the background. She's like, hey, Dad, don't worry. I'll be back in 137 hours. They didn't have to take their shoes off at the airport and go through the security and be patted down and all that stuff. She's got that metal box with her. How that wouldn't have set off the secure, uh, the, um, <laughs> metal detector. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, she, she's, all she's got with her right now is like a carry. And she's got, like, earbuds for like whatever the in-flight movie is if they did that in 74 i don't know but it's just ew i hope they sanitize those things they've been in someone else's ears and the thing is this thing looks like one of those toy like kid medical kits with a stethoscope yeah she's in los angeles she's trying to get her bag up the carousel of course so is everyone else so she's got to squeeze in there her tiny little self 
we go to the doors of the airport. We see this kid with shaggy blonde hair and a jean jacket run in like his feet are on fire. It's not hard to spot Veda because she's got like this big suitcase and she's just looking around like she's, you know, lost. I'm sure that Uncle Phil has a picture of Veda like, okay, you're going to pick her up. That's awesome because I'm busy today. I can't meet her there. So here's a picture. You know what she looks like. There you go. Veda, of course, has no idea that Uncle Phil is not going to be the one to pick her up. So, of course, she's a little, you know, with her dad's cautionish words, don't look at anybody. Don't talk to anybody. Don't answer anybody. Just stay in one spot. Because he's like, hey, um, are you, is your name Veda? And she keeps turning away from him. And he's like, hey, I asked you a question. You're being rude. She's like, I can't talk to strangers. My dad told me not to. And he's like, look, I'm here to pick you up. Your Uncle Phil sent me. And she's like, oh my gosh, did you murder him? And he's like, the fuck? No, I didn't murder him. I'm picking you up. Are you ready? Is this your suitcase? Thank you. And he just goes off with it. It's like, girl, we got a times table. We got to meet. Let's go. I got a cab waiting for me. Let's go. Actually, what he does, Nick, his name is Nick. He's like, hey, are you waiting for someone? And she turns away from him. He's like, uh, excuse me, ask you a question. He's like, I'm not supposed to talk to anybody. Not even nuns. But she goes into full-blown panic mode. We know where she, which family member she gets that from. He's like, is your name Veda? She's like, how do you know my name? He's like, your Uncle Phil sent me. She's like, where is he? He was supposed to meet me. He's like, chill the fuck out. He's busy, all right? He sent me in his place. This your suitcase? Great. Let's go. So he doesn't even give her a chance to, like, like come with him. Like, I, I got, we got to, we got to move, girl. Let's go. Of course, I love Nick's response. Like, do you really think if I were going to kidnap somebody, I would choose your Uncle Phil? Who outweighs me about 150 pounds? All right, let's move on. So Nick is kind of being a little bit of a dick here. <laughs> He's not like asshole Kevin from Philadelphia, but he's just being like, hey, look, I got your bag. What the fuck? I'm going to call the police. And he's like, why? And tell them what? That a polite person offered to carry your bag? She's like, well, you're not very polite. <laughs> well, you're kind of a bitch, so. <laughs> so, I don't know if, like, airports have this where they have solicitors wearing, like, pinkish robe type. I'm not sure what religion they are. They're, like, they have, like, the side, like, part of their head is shaved. And then they got, like, a little ponytail going on. And she, this guy, like, hands her a flower, and he's probably like, I want to speak, you know, of, you know how they are. And, of course, Nick's like, no, thank you, throws the flower down. Can we go? Because he's like, fuck, there's no cabs. Luckily, he finds one, gets, shoves Veda right in there, like, get your ass in there. Because they take the cab, like, right out of this one lady. Like, lady, you're out of my, we, we need this cab more than you. So the cab driver's like, whoa, this boy, he knows where he needs to go. All right, buddy, where are we going? And he's like, take this to the, that, to the, that, to the, that. Okay, so I see Randy's Donuts there. I see a Shell station. It's not like we can see what the price is. But apparently this is a more current out Shell station. Okay, I'm looking at the price of gas. It looks like it's like a buck 36, maybe, maybe a buck 76. Because it's like the car moves fast by it, so it's like a blur. Wow, Veda and Nick couldn't be farther apart in that backseat because she's like 
she's never been to LA. Let her like look out and like see all the sights and shit like that. Cause Nick just like glances over his, you know, like looking at her, like oh, rolling his eyes, like oh, to another tourist. Keeps <laughs> rolling his damn eyes at her. Oh, we see a map to the movie stars' homes. We see Capitol Records. See some guy in a VW bug with a top down and a surfboard. They're heading to the beach. All right, we see the Budapest Auto Repair. So, Nick says this is the Budapest Pest Auto Repair. My grandfather built it. One day I'm going to inherit it. That little, um, the windows up above, that's where we stay. It's my, my mom's little apartment. Of course, we see Uncle Phil and she and, or he and Veda hug. Pretty much just working as a mechanic, which is pretty cool. I mean, that's a sweet gig, you know. Got a mechanic shop, you know, helping out his girlfriend, living with her, helping raise um, her kid. Of course, Nick gets $5 for making sure Veda gets to her uncle in one piece. Of course, as soon as Phil gives Nick the $5, his mother pops out of the office like, Give it back, Nicholas! And of course, Nick says, Look, we had a business arrangement. <laughs> well, Rose here, Nick's mother, and of course Uncle Phil's girlfriend, she comes in like a hurricane, just whirlwind, just talking a mile minute, and Veda is just like, oh my gosh, this lady. And it's just funny, when Rose gets off the phone and she looks at Veda, she's like, oh my gosh, that face! Everyone like has a reaction when they meet Veda, when uh she and Nick eventually go on their search for... Maggie, you know, uh, Veda's mom and stuff, and learning about her, the people that she comes in contact with just have a thing like, oh my gosh, your face, you look just like your mother, and just like touching her face, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Boundaries, people. What if she didn't like to be touched on the face? Especially by people she just met. I mean, you may have known her mother a long time ago, but come on now. Boundaries. So it's a nice little two-bedroom apartment that's above the garage. And Uncle Phil takes Veda up there to get her settled, throw her things in her closet, all that good stuff. Of course, this is 1974. And I don't know how common it was people living, you know, couples living together before they were married. Because Veda kind of broaches the subject with Uncle Phil and he just like, Changes the subject on her. Like, oh, let's talk about something else. <laughs> this is such, it's such an open apartment. It's just, you walk right into the dining. It's got, like, French doors leading into the dining room. And it's just, it's, it's so open and airy. And it's got nice windows that are, you know, let the light in and everything like that. It's really cool. So, she's like, are you engaged or something? And Uncle Phil's like, no, we're dating. We're seriously dating, Rose and I. So, of course, he changes the subject, like, I bet you're thirsty, let me get you some juice. Like, uh-huh, yeah. Oh, actually, no, he doesn't really uh, avoid the subject. He does mention how marriage for him is its a really big step, not something to be entered into lightly, which I agree. I mean, my husband and I, before we were married, we were dating, we were living together for three years. I mean, sure, if you, you want to not do that, not live together before you're married, that's you know, that's whatever. But there are others that do. And I think a pro for that is the fact that you get to kind of learn about each other 
before you get married, your habits, your likes, your dislikes, all that stuff. So it's not like a big surprise once after you're married, you're like, oh gosh, you're a complete slob. Veda is like, oh, you know what? It sounds like you have a fear of commitment, Uncle Phil. Like, I don't think it's that. I mean, he's not wrong. Marriage is something you don't take that lightly. Say date for a bit, at least a couple years. Then if you want to get married, get married. Because Rose, of course, is divorced. Because, you know, she has Nick. But who knows how she feels about marriage. Does she want to get married, you know, after dating for like six months or a year or, or whatever? I don't know. Okay, so now it's dinner later. Finally, we get away from that whole commitment, dating, marriage, what have you. So we can kind of move on with the plot. And it's dinner later that evening. Veda's kind of laying out her plan, saying her mother is a woman of mystery. I'm gonna, And Nick's all like, oh, you're going to solve that mystery, huh? Yeah, she's like, all right, well, I know she went to this high school, Wilson High School, and I'm going to get a yearbook. That's a great way to start, definitely. So, of course, you can't have Veda traipsing all over Los Angeles by herself. She'll get lost. Um, or, who knows. Um... So, after dinner, Nick and Phil are doing, you know, washing, drying the dishes. And Phil gives Nick some money. Like, hey, I know this isn't your ideal, you know, spring break, having to show Veda around, but I'd really appreciate it. And he, I think he gives him like 10 to $15. Because Veda, of course, overhears all of this. So Veda wakes up, and of course it's one of those things like when you're at someone's house and you wake up and you're like, where am I? And then it takes a second to dawn on you. So she goes out onto this balcony, and you can see the view, guys. You can see for miles palm trees, like miles of palm trees and sky and and hills and buildings and just wow. Okay, the Doctor doctor My Eyes song is playing. I like that song. So, it looks like their mode of transportation for the time being is the city bus, of course. And Veda is just struck by the sights, the sounds, the smells of L.A. Nick, of course, we know he's not into chaperoning Veda. And she's just... Every instance, he's just giving her dirty looks, rolling his eyes. Like, dude, I get he's 13. Boys mature... Like, not as fast as girls do, but come on. His reaction to her is like a 10-year-old boy reacting to a 12-year-old. Just, I don't know. So, of course, during this bus ride, Veda lets it slip that she kind of heard about um, Phil giving Nick $10 to kind of chaperone her around Los Angeles. So they get off where the Wilson High School should be. Unfortunately, it burned down. Uh, on June 17th, 1963. So this would have been a couple years after Veda's death. Well, it sucks. But then again, it's like you were looking for a yearbook anyway. Not to mention, even if the school was there, I'm sure all the teachers she had back then are going to be retired or dead. I I don't know. But I can't even imagine her finding any, uh, Anyone there that would have known her? I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, you gotta add 13 years plus 
however many years it's been since uh, she was in high school when she graduated and stuff like that. So Okay, so Veda, of course, she's like, gosh, the high school burned down. Now my report is not going to happen. I'm not going to learn anything. I can't just sit around and wait for someone to walk around with a Wilson High letter sweater. And it's like, girl, you were looking for a yearbook anyway. Clearly, hello, where are yearbooks made? And book depository? I don't know. Just look for a yearbook. That's what you're going to do anyway. Not that big of a deal. She's a lot like her dad and the whole... Like, jump to the worst case scenario. And it's like, eh, my report's gonna be crap. Even Nick, I agree with Nick here. It's like, Veda, calm down, girl. Like, calm your shit. Simple question. Where do yearbooks come from? There's your answer. kind of like the people that Veda comes in contact with on the search for her mom. I mean, this guy runs a factory making, you know, yearbooks and whatnot. And... They actually have, you know, stacks in uh, of, of yearbooks from different dates and years and all that stuff. So they're going to look for a yearbook. Like a needle in a haystack. You know, white papers on them to say maybe what year they represent or something. Copyright date. and But at least he kind of gives them an idea where to start. Like, if it's here at all, don't worry. It's probably going to be in the back two rows. So, alright, have fun searching. <laughs> so, luckily, she finds the yearbook after the whole needle in the haystack talk between her and Nick. And then they kind of talk about uh, <laughs> what they would say. Well, I guess... I know senior quotes usually something that you you say yourself or a quote that you take from something. But this is like people quoting what they think will happen to the person. As Veda reads about her mom, someone saying with Maggie's good looks and talent, we're sure to be seeing her name in lights. And Nick, of course, doesn't want to amount to anything. He's like, hopefully someone says, Nick didn't amount to much, so don't bother looking for him or something to that effect. Like, damn, kid, you want to, like, disappear into obscurity or something? (laughs) Kind of like George Seinfeld with the whole, I don't want to be remembered, I want to be forgotten kind of thing. So Veda's plan is this. She's got her, she got the yearbook, right? Let's go through the yearbook. Let's see what clubs that Maggie was in, people that she was in contact with, friends, club members, see if they can tell her anything about them. Of course, one in particular, last name Tanaka, this is 1974, you don't have the internet white pages, so you gotta go through the physical white pages in a phone book. And God help you if there's like 20 plus Tanaka, there's like 15. Oh boy, they got their work cut out for them. I mean, I got a couple, like, um, a yearbook from my dad, a couple from my dad, and then one from my mom. And I agree with Nick. Those things don't smell well after so many. They kind of (laughs) stink. And Veda says it's the leather bindings. Even my high school yearbook, those things are fucking expensive. You, in the beginning of the year, you, like, put down a $20 deposit, you have a ticket, and then you're supposed to hold on to the ticket for the next nine months, and then pay another 20 when the yearbook does eventually come in. I didn't get my freshman yearbook, because my dad didn't want, didn't want to spend the money, but I did get my sophomore, my junior, and my senior yearbook, so. 
So Nick and Vader are chowing down on, well, Nick mainly is chowing down on chili dogs and french fries and Dr. Peppers. Chugging the Dr. Peppers. Of course, the talk of, you know, some women change their names when they get married. And Vader is like, well, I'm not going to do that. He's like, what, get married? She's like, no, I mean, change my name. Which, I mean, that's a, a, a lady's right. If she doesn't want to, she doesn't necessarily have to. I mean, it might hurt the guy's feelings, but, I mean, that's something you work out before you get married. That's one of the talks you have if that's something that needs to be brought up if you're going to keep your own name. Probably for professional purposes, especially if you're in the entertainment industry. Some stars, you know, of course, keep their their own name. Sometimes they hyphen it. Yeah. Nick always turns everything she says into, like, a damned argument. He's like, what, you think the guy should change his name? She's like, no, I don't think anyone should change their name, so it's easier to find them in the phone book. All right, so she managed to find a, I think his name is Ken Tanaka. He works as a police officer. Daryl Tanaka. What do I think? Ken Tanaka. So the guy who plays... Tanaka. Actually, this guy is a character actor. He's been in a lot of stuff. I think he even currently is still working. He is an Asian actor. Um, Let me look him him up real quick. Oh, I know why I was thinking Ken Tanaka. Uh, Glee, the the original football coach. Okay. I knew the name Tanaka sounded familiar, and I'd heard it before this. I was just thinking about one of those guys that uh, approached Beta with that flower. This thing says Hare Krishna. Is that like an organization or something? Or religion? I'm not sure. Um, Oh, the guy who played Devin, the one in the classroom with the Farrah Fawcett. His first name is Devin. That's kind of cool. Okay, where is this Tanaka guy? There we go. Is it Keon Young? I think. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. This guy's been in so much stuff, guys. I think he's still currently working. Holy moo. 244 credits, this guy. Oh my gosh. He's currently still working, too. I think he does quite a bit of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Voice work. Yes. It was in an episode of Different Strokes. Um, what's the other thing I'm thinking of? he played the doctor in the Robin Williams movie Jack. So, Tanaka and Maggie worked on the paper together, and he recalls a time when the Legion of Decency declared Rebel without a cause unfit. You know, the James James Dean movie and Natalie Wood movie is really good. So, she wrote a paper about censorship and the First Amendment, and of course at graduation some big deal congressman saying that Senator McCarthy was the greatest man ever. Maggie gets up in front of 500 people and walks out of her own graduation. So he holds up a picture and his other siblings are also police officers. And, um, of course, Veda's like, oh, you walked out with my mother too? And he's like, heck no! My parents would have shot me! I walk out on my own graduation. But yeah, this guy... Definitely had a lot to his credit as far as the Young Republicans Club and some other stuff. And a hall monitor. He even caught Maggie smoking in the bathroom. Of course, he had to haul her ass in. So, Veda's like, what the hell? Dick is a dick! 
You don't speak that way to a police officer. I don't care if you're having a polite conversation with him. It's like, oh, wow, you saved a lot of lives. You must be really proud. Like, shut your fucking mouth, boy. So, yeah, Maggie got suspended for two weeks for smoking. It's like, oh, my gosh, what kind of sleazoid geek would turn her in? Nick, seriously, because, of course... Tanaka was a home monitor. Of course he turned her ass in. He's like, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I am so damn tired of people referring to somebody in a in a form of like Hitler. As next like, where do you Hitler's hall monitor? The fuck? Stop it. They did the same thing in a Simpsons episode. Homer was smoking a couple cigarettes inside the DMV. He was, like, trying to save Patty and Selma, Marge's sisters, from losing their job. And their boss had come up and smacked Homer across the face, said, you, sir, are worse than Hitler. That that shit needs to fucking stop. The Hitler comparisons, just stop it. It's not funny. It's just not funny. And it's not cool either. So, of course, this has got to be during that whole Watergate scandal thing because they pass, as they're walking past a, um, electronics store, there's a bunch of little TVs and we have somebody saying how, I don't know who this guy is. He's like, the president has nothing to hide at this time. Oh, boy. Okay, this slimy dickbag here, I mean, he's just schmoozing Rose. He comes in with this rad jag car and um, he's like oh I hear that you guys are the best jag workers in town and everything like that and he's really hitting on Rose Phil of course sees it and gets right in there like what are you doing you need help with your car I'll take care of it he's really getting kind of jelly apparently he just needs an oil change this guy's just flirting hard like oh my gosh apparently he's like a I think he's like a cardiologist or something a little bit okay let's move on from him I don't like this guy he sucks okay the next person on the list is going to be Stan the photographer who I guess was in a club with Maggie or something like that of course this person is played by Ben Stein he's photographing a wedding wedding reception some Veda's going to ask some questions about Maggie. So she's getting little bits and pieces of her mother. Her mom was kind of a rebel, aside from being in the in the theater and stuff like that. So little bits and pieces. Sid tells Veda that her mom was, like, big into a lot of things. She could play basketball. She could dance. And it's just, she was like a jack-of-all-trades. And, of course, he admitted, you know, he did have a little crush on her in high school, on Maggie. And, of course, he did, you know, ask her out a few times. She always kind of rejected him, always said no. And he doesn't really have any hard feelings about it. So, I guess the next guy on Beta's list is going to be Peter Webb, who also hung out with Maggie. They were all in this poetry class together. I think it was UCLA. Uh, Peter Webb is, like, he was a big director, so, that's going to be the next person to check out. Of course, Sid name drops Albert Boderfelder. Actually, it's Biedermeyer, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, they're in the... Yeah, that's pretty cool. In class with the uh, Veda's favorite poet. Of course, we go back to the brown paper bag. as It's got a date written on it. Veda asks him, like, do you know... 
I think she even did this with Tanaka as well. And neither he nor Sid have any recollection of what that date signifies. So now Nick and Veda are walking down the street. And Veda's like, oh my gosh, my favorite author, my favorite poet. He walks down this very street that I'm walking on right now. And Nick is just like, oh my gosh, you're really into this, like, stalker. <laughs> she's just like wow like when he needs inspiration he just walks down this like, and I, it's it's one of those things like you're starstruck you admire somebody and you just can't believe it i'm walking on the same street as so and so oh my gosh my feet are touching where his feet touched the, gr- the ground like yeah sid kind of gave her directions to usually around the afternoon this is where if you're looking for albert uh, Boldermeyer, however his name is pronounced, um, yeah, and sure enough, she finds him, and it's kind of a letdown for Veda, it seems like she's kind of put this guy on a pedestal, she doesn't really know anything about him other than his poetry, the guy's sitting outside at a little TV tray, and she's like, oh my gosh, he's writing, he's like writing a check to like the electric company or something, and she's like, hello, and he's just kind of looks at her and turns back to, I think he's writing a check or something, Paying his bills. He's like, if you're selling Girl Scouts cookies, I'm borderline diabetic. I think he's, he's got an accent of sorts. I can't place it. I thought maybe German, but I'm not sure. He's writing to the phone company because he keeps getting charged for calls to Caracas, Venezuela. It's like, do you know anybody in Caracas, Venezuela? And she's like, uh, no. So apparently it's time for his medication and his nap. And, <laughs> Veda, what did you think? Guy, I don't think he's writing poetry anymore. He's enjoying being a senior citizen. He's taking his meds for his diabetes. He's going to take a nap. I love how Nick and Veda are at the top. They help the guy up with like the TV tray and the chair and everything like that. And they're on his little balcony. And Nick looks, they're looking down and Nick says, If he has a heart attack, you're carrying the body down yourself. Oh, God. So we see the inside of this guy's place. And it looks really just Everything's covered in dust. You can see the sunlight shine, uh, streaming in from the the window blinds. And it's just dust motes in the air. It's like, oh, it smells like an old man and lives here. Oh. Again, if Fanny just wants to learn about her mom. And this guy really is no help. All he remembers back in his UCLA days. Or he wore a court cardigan sweater. He drank a little... He's got a badass memory, a bad memory, not a badass memory, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't remember. And she's like, well, people say she looked like me, and it's like, well, and he, he he's drinking, and he's a diabetic, and he's taking medication. Guy, you are gonna be dead. That is, uh, and this is 1974. Fucking hell. So, this guy is kind of, you know, he's not a poet anymore. He doesn't write. He watches TV like the rest of America in 1974. So she, and it's just like her d- dr- dreams of being a writer are just dashed by this guy that she looked up to, never met before. You know how if you you meet someone you admire and it's like a total letdown because they're either an asshole or they're not. Like you build them up so much in your mind like they're this great person. Then when you meet them, you're just so let down. That's exactly how Veda is feeling. So this is a nice side of Nick. He actually takes her to a place where she needs some cheering up. Well, he's like, I always go here when I need cheering up. And wouldn't you know it, he takes her to the tar pits. Wow, you're a, you're an odd, 
you're a hard person to figure out there, Nick. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to play this clip as we get a Thomas J. Moodring name drop reference here. Instead of the source, check for Pennsylvania, where's a Moodring. This isn't just a Moodring. Does it work? Well, it doesn't open cans or anything, but it, it's sort of a reminder of a friend of mine. Boyfriend? He was a boy. He was my friend. He was my best friend. <laughs> we were kids. We were gonna move out here and live with the Brady Bunch. <laughs> then I, I lost the string in the woods. And when he went to find it, he got stung by bees and he died. Think your friends up in heaven now, looking down on you, watching you all the time? <laughs> well, I hope he's not watching me all the time. <laughs> Let me see if he changes colors on me. No. Okay. But be careful. It has lots of amount of value. Maybe it'll fit my pinky. Don't force it, you'll break it. I'm not gonna break it. I just wanna see it change colors. I want it back. I never should have taken it off. I want it back. Hey, relax. I'm not gonna break it. Give it to me. Come and get it. Just oh. give it to me. Just come and get it. Come on. Right here. Don't. Come on. Look, watch it. Don't. Uh oh. What do you mean, uh oh? <laughs> I dropped it. In the tar? It was an accident. I'll get you a new one. Where are you going? Leo, wait up! Wait! What are you doing? You can't go in there. Oh no! It's dangerous! Leave me alone! That ring is the only thing I have left of Thomas J. I have to get it. You mean this ring? You dick. <laughs> Jerk, you idiot. <laughs> Beat his ass, Veda. Poor girl. Veda, you should have just kept the damn ring on your finger. Seriously. What boy is into mood rings in 74? I don't know. I mean, but even st Come on. Go with it. Change the color. Like, no. It's not for you. It's a sentimental piece of Veda's only member of Thomas J. He pretends he drops it in the fucking tar pit. She runs to get it, tries to climb the fence. Goes, no, you can't do that. It's dangerous. You're not supposed to be in there. And she's like, I, that's the only thing I have of Thomas J. And he's like, oh, you mean this ring? As he holds it up. And she like beats the, just starts wailing on which, good for her. Dang it. Nick. She starts running after him, like, oh, you hit pretty well for a girl. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised she didn't slug him in the face. So, I mean, if you even wanted to chalk that up to some semi-harmless flirting, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering if Nick is seeing Veda in a whole light, new light, because she's only, you know, she can only 
you know, this trip's only a five-day trip. They've been together for, what, maybe a couple days, maybe three tops. And it's, like, the middle of the night, and he's like, I want to go get Joe's after I just went to the bathroom. And he's, like, hovering over a sleeping Veda on the couch. Watching her sleep like a creeper. Well, it seems like the the character, <laughs> these these people that Maggie had went to school with, these, when Veda meets them, these are just some crazy caricatures. They're, they're just crazy. And he's just talking about how Maggie was like just pure magic and everything and meant for the big screen. And he also, Peter Webb mentions, oh, you should call Hillary Mitchell. Um, she and I dated for a smidge. It got really nasty, by the way, towards the end. Um, but you should talk to her because she was best friends with Maggie and she could tell you stories. Yeah. He mentions how, like, they went to the the Hollywood Walk of Fame where you could put your feet in um, the feet of the stars to put their feet and their handprints in there. And Maggie's feet were the same size as Judy Garland's. So, Alright, so Veda hands over the brown paper bag again with the date. And of course, Peter does not know what that is. He has no reference for it. He kind of throws out could be the date of an opening, an audition, a birthday. Yeah. So he kisses her Veda on the forehead after saying, hey, if you ever want to be in the movies, look me up because you have got the face for close-ups just like Maggie. I agree with Nick. What a, that guy's a fucking weirdo. Maggie had eccentric friends. She had a lot of eccentric friends. (laughs) All right, so Rose and Phil are just going out for a bit. Of course, Nick and Veda say, hey, we're going to hang around home. Don't worry, we'll be fine. But no, they're going to go out for a night on the town. I know that Veda wants to hit up the Hollywood Walk of Fame, check out the footprints, see if her feet match Judy Garland's like her mother's did. And of course, they pass a shop where you can get your ears pierced for five bucks with earrings included. That is one thing that um, Harry had mentioned. Like, oh, you're going to come back with your ears pierced, your legs shaved. Yeah. I remember this from one of the TV spots when it was advertising the movie. And I remember Rose later on, the, the, the kids get caught. Of course they get caught, like, not being there when Phil and Rose get back. And she's like, I'm sure your father didn't give you permission to get your ears pierced and your legs shaved or shaving your legs or whatever. It's like, Of course, is like, oh, this is such a totally barbaric custom. I don't know. I look at Nick with the long... You know, shoulder length hair and the jean, blue jean jacket. And I'm like, he could, he could, I could see him with the pierced ear. Well, Veda and Nick are walking around. Of course, they kind of like, all right, so let's get this straight. If your Uncle Phil marries my mom, that would make her your aunt, right? So then technically, I'd be your cousin. They're just kind of outlying, like getting the details clear. Technically, she'd be like a step aunt. Would she? Would she? Or would she? No, she'd be an aunt. Nick would be kind of a cousin of sorts. Not related, but. And Nick is really harmless, but we wouldn't really be related, right? I think he's. I think he's, uh. He's got a thing for Veda. I think spending time with her, he's getting a little crush. So that's why he's really like, but we wouldn't really be related, right? She's like, uh, no, we wouldn't be. Veda's like, no, we wouldn't be from the same bloodlines or anything. Of course you wouldn't. 
Because, like, we'd be to- totally different, uh, you know, strangers who had relatives that got married. Yeah. So, Veda's fishing for a compliment here. Like, oh, are you going to say anything about me, my earrings? Because you got her ears pierced. And he's like, well, I already told you. It's like a totally barbaric custom. But on you, it looks good. He's flirting with her! <laughs> this is adorable! In that moment, it seems like Veda kind of looks at him and she's kind of seeing him in a new light. Like, oh, he's kind of flirting with me. Yep, turns out, okay, I guess they're not going to the Hollywood Walk of Fame yet. Because they're trying to hurry to get back only to find out that Phil and Rose got back before them. (laughs) Nick and Veda come in and, of course, Rose is like, looks at Nick and says, you're grounded to your 50. And he's like, Mom, you're overreacting. She's like, make it 60. And she just kind of lays into him like, hey, I have to do my job as a mom, but I can't do that if you don't do your job as a kid. She just, I don't want to see you as a delinquent and everything. And Veda, of course, is like, no, no, look, it's me. It was my fault. And he's like, no, mom, look, it was my fault. Okay, you just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. And she tells him to go to his room. And of course, she doesn't so much lay into Veda, but she just says, she notices she got her ears pierced. She's like, I suppose your father didn't give you permission to shave your legs. And Veda's like, oh, not exactly. And she's like, well, just don't. Sh- oh, no. Uh, she says, I guess your father didn't give you permission to pierce your ears. And Veda said, well, not exactly. And Rose says, well, just don't shave your legs. He'll never let you visit us again if I send you home hairless and full of holes. Oh, God. <laughs> we cut to Phil's reaction and he's kind of smirking. Oh, we get Dr. Sam Halpern, the child anesthesiologist or whatever he does for a living. I don't know. He's a doctor of sorts. Something to do with kids. Um, and he tries to invite Rose out to like go out to eat. Like, Can I take you out to dinner? And she's like, well, I'm sort of involved. And Sam, Dr. Sam kind of presses on the matter. But he's really pushing on. And then... Phil finally gets in there. It's like, what are you doing back here? We've done everything that your car needs to be... That a car would need uh, be d- to be done as far as the oil change and uh, coolant and all that stuff. And he's like, I didn't expect to be seeing you for another 3,000 miles. Oh my goodness. These two. Phil and Rose. It's like, come on. Get your shit together already. All right. Now, looks like Veda and Nick are going to go visit um, Hillary, Maggie's best friend. Well, it looks like Hillary runs her own little boutique. I mean, it is 1974. These styles aren't anything I don't think anyone would want to wear today. They're just really gaudy, ugly, gross. And she's got some type of, uh, I don't even know what you would call that kind of music. Maybe sitar? I'm not sure. What's with people just thinking that just because they knew Maggie Moldovan that they can just, like, touch her daughter's face and her hair like oh because they they see hillary and like oh my gosh i can see maggie and you veda like your eyes and your hair and she's touching her hair it's like oh my gosh stop oh my god this lady is a fucking fruit cake or she is on some serious quaaludes or i don't know what it is but or she's been smoking some weed in the back of her uh boutique there because wow this lady is, like I said, she's a fucking fruitcake. She's just overly emotional, like, oh my gosh! You look 
like your mother. And she's never going to know how you turned out. You poor thing. And just like hugs her. And Nick is just like, this lady's a fucking nut. Good God. Let's get out of here. Um, She does kind of put a little bit of a scare in Veda when she's talking about her dad. And this lady brings up a name. Yeah, she brings up Jeffrey Pomeroy, another guy who was in, like, the drama club or the theater acting thing that uh, Hillary and Maggie and Jeffrey Pomeroy used to, like, hang out in his, like, truck and everything like that. And Veda is even rolling her eyes like, uh, it's okay, really. I, I was just a baby. I never met her. I don't even remember her. Yeah, she's like, I've been taking all these seminars to get in touch with my feelings. Lady, you've been you've been smoking the ganja or some shit. Or I don't know what you're taking, but damn. Here's how this starts. She says, oh, I remember you, Maggie and your dad. You know, we used to all pile into his old 54 pickup. So Hillary's like, oh, does he? Does your dad still drive the truck? And she's like, no. Veda's like, well, no. I mean, sometimes he drives a hearse. And of course, here's where the name drop happens. Oh, I could never picture Jeffrey Pomeroy driving around in a hearse. And it's like, what? Excuse me? Who's Jeffrey Pomeroy? Oh, Nick adds he's an undertaker. Her dad is an undertaker. Why does this lady just assume that Maggie and Jeffrey Pomeroy would get married? Because Veda's like, his name is Harry Sultanfuss. What the fuck? She just opened up a damn door in Veda's mind that she is not going to be able to shut now because now it's not just about learning about her mother. Now it's about learning about this guy and thinking that maybe this Jeffrey Pomeroy guy could be her father. And that's kind of how the last half of the movie kind of rolls. This lady put her fucking foot, fucking foot in her mouth here with this. Because Veda's like, what are you saying? And the lady's like trying to backpedal like, oh honey, people did weird shit back in the day. Like, I really do weird shit now. It's like, you're Phil, oh my god. Her, Veda's mind is just fucking spinning at this point. Like, the idea that my dad couldn't be my dad? <coughs> so Veda's like, what, are you telling me my mom had another husband? She runs out of the store. Nick's trying to catch up with her. This is, uh, Veda, wow. I get it. It's the 70s. Why did they have to tack this? I mean, I get we gotta get to this guy to get to the home movie of Maggie and we get to see her and everything like that. But it's just like, why tack this on? For what purpose? Oh, she's like, I got the hair of a dead person in this nose. No one in my family has this nose. It could be the nose of a complete stranger. So... I would say Veda's mind has definitely been blown. And she just starts crying like, I don't know what to do. I came out to find out about my mother. Now there's this big dark secret like she was married before my dad. This guy that she married could be my real father. And it's just like, wow. So Nick, of course, suggests like, hey, talk to your Uncle Phil. He may know something about this. Just don't get all worked up just yet. You don't know all the facts. You don't know. You are going down a rabbit hole, Veda, that you aren't going to be able to dig your way out of. Just, just calm down. I know it's hard to, to do that, but N N I like it. He's like, we're going to figure this out. It's going to be, we're going to, we're going to find out. 
This is so sweet. Nick puts his hands on Veda's shoulders because she's facing away from him. And he turns her to him and wipes away her tears. This is beautiful. Oh my gosh, this boy. He's a sweetheart. But he can be a pain in the ass sometimes too. I like what he says here. He's like, you know what you said about your nose being a stranger's nose? It's not. It's your nose. So over dinner, they're... Well, actually, I think they're having a dessert at this point. Um, Veda's kind of like, why would my dad send me out here to L.A. and let me find out like this? And, of course, Phil really doesn't have any words to offer. So Veda's going to call up her dad, see how things are going, and then she name drops Jeffrey Pomeroy. Of course, Harry has no idea who this is because if you think about it, Veda's mom was kind of a stranger. He didn't know much about her. Other than she came to town with the theater group. She liked peanut butter and banana sandwiches and loved the color pink. That's pretty much it. So anything that happened before their meeting, she's basically a blank slate to him, pretty much. I'm sorry, babe, if you're going to marry someone, don't you think you kind of want to know more than just a couple things about them? Yeah, Harry thinks that <laughs> Jeffrey Pomeroy is some kind of a new rock star. Like, uh-huh. So Shelly, of course, we see her. She's in bed. She's clearly on bed rest. Right, now we go back to Tanaka and Veda and Nick want to try to get a license plate trace on Jack- Jeffrey Pomeroy's truck to try to get an address for him. And, of course, I get it. That's kind of, isn't that kind of a little against the law? Unless it's, I guess he's like, well, I would have to charge him with something. And, you know, to be able to look up the license plate. And Nick's like, well, then charge him with something. So it's like, And Veda kind of like, is like, hey, do you want to be a hall monitor all your life? You could really be helping me out. So he says, he makes a call, says, I think he may be going after the president, this Jeffrey Pomeroy. Can I get a license and an address? Okay, thank you. So Veda thinks about calling Jeffrey Pomeroy, but she's like, no, I kind of want to see him face to face first. So Phil's like, hey, how about we do this? Why don't we drive over to his place? You can introduce yourself, find out about your mom. And, you know, judge for yourself. So, on the drive over, Veda asks Phil, like, should I mention about this Jeffrey Pomeroy guy to my dad? Phil's like, you know, your dad's got a lot on his plate right now with Shelly and the new baby. I think you just really need to hold off. And Phil says, you know, your dad has his own memories. He's got his own life now. And Phil says, you know, I think this is a secret just between you and your mom. And honestly, I agree with Phil. You know, just... Keep it that way. Your dad doesn't need to know what difference is you tell or with if you tell him what what is that gonna do? Your mom had a whole life before she met your and married your dad. You're basically opening up a can of worms that really doesn't need to be opened with to begin with. So they pull up in front of this really nice log cabin type house. It's very pretty. It's got a swing set out front. There's a dog on the porch. Veda's like, oh my gosh. And she's kind of envisioning herself like, oh, what if I were, what if I grew up here instead of in Philadelphia and everything? This could be my porch, my house. That could be my dog. That could have been my swing set. I want to 
gotta look this guy up. He looks like he could be someone I've recognized from something. But then again, he's he's got a beard, so I don't know. Maybe not. So, honestly, I don't recognize him from anything else. He actually is also a singer. He's got, like, um, a list of soundtracks from, like, movies and television shows and stuff. Like, that's pretty cool. His name is J.D. Souther. I probably mispronounced that, but... Of course, you know, he's taken by surprise. Veda says, my name is Veda Margaret Saltonfuss. I'm and Jeffrey Pomeroy's like, Maggie's daughter, okay. So, he clearly has heard about her. You know, I'm sure he and Maggie must have kept in touch. Because he's like, I was wondering when I'd be able to meet you. So, Veda, of course, is still under the impression that Jeffrey Pomeroy might be her father. Because she says, oh, you knew about me? So, Jeffrey Pomeroy introduces Veda to, you know, his wife and his little girl, Katie. Katie looks to be maybe about four or five years old, so he must he must have had her you know, late in life. I mean, I'm just going by his beard. He's got to be in his 40s. Anyway, he's going to visit with Veda for a bit, talk about his memories of Maggie, and hopefully we'll get that mystery solved about that brown paper bag with a date on it. <clears throat> so Veda's telling him while Jeffrey is pouring some lemonade for them. She's telling him all about the school assignment and how, you know, her mom grew up in LA, went to school, went to UCLA, and, you know, her uncle Phil moved out there, so that's when Veda thought, hey, I can find out about my mom for my school assignment. And she met some of Maggie's friends, Hillary Mitchell, who's a little, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's a little out there. <laughs> and when she mentions how she tracked Jeffrey Pomeroy down, he kind of looks at her like, you did what now? <laughs> you have my vehicle traced? <laughs> oh, boy. Kind of like, you went to a lot of trouble to find me, kid. <laughs> Not that he's hiding from anybody, but if someone said, oh, I went to the police and I had them trace your license plate, I'd be a little concerned with that. Like, what? <laughs> So, <laughs> Veda said, well, I told you it was a long story, and Jeffrey Palmer, he's like, well, you, you know, your mom used to be like that, and somehow about, like, she'd work, like, special effects into the conversation, like, when she was talking about lightning while she was, was uh, switching a lamp on and off and everything, and how he says how your mom knew how to work an audience, and he's gonna show, like, Veda's like, well, do you have any pictures of her, maybe? And he's like, you know, I can go one better. I got uh, some film of her if you want to see it. It's like, that, I, seriously, if I were Veda, I would be like, oh my gosh, yes. All right, here we go with the brown paper bag. I think we're going to find out what that date is. No one else knows what this means. Thing is, we always wanted to work in the theater, so we drove out to New York, to Broadway, where it was, where it was all happening. And New York was just full of fancy French restaurants, and we wanted to get married in one, but we were totally broke. 
So your mom found this little coffee shop with tables around in the back and real tablecloths on them and a minister at work cheap. But when we got down to the coffee shop, there was a sign on the door that said, Closed by the Board of Health. By that time, it had started snowing, so we just got married right outside in the snow. It was freezing. But it was wonderful. For our wedding feast, we had a bag of hot roasted chestnuts. This is the bag. And she saved it. Well, we didn't have a camera. So she just wrote the date on the bag and said, this will be our wedding album. This will be a day we'll never forget. We never did. Do you have any pictures of her? I've got something better. <laughs> so it turns out that date on that paper bag was a wedding date when Jeffrey Pomeroy and Maggie Moldovan got married outside in the snow of this French restaurant in New York that had been closed down by the health, the health board, and they didn't have a camera and it was snowing outside. It was just... So she wrote the date on the back of a brown paper bag that had uh, they had eaten some hot chest uh chestnuts and she said that that would be their wedding album and that would be a day they would never forget and jeffrey says we never did and veda asked do you have any pictures and he's like well i have something better and she gets to see a home like a home movie footage that is so cool that is much better than a picture so we get to see Maggie dressed up for a show. She's in her dressing room. She's putting on a, a fake accent. And it's just, she's very pretty. Like, you know who she reminds me of? I know, definitely not her, but kind of like Kate Winslet a little. Even though it's, I mean, it's not. But yeah, she's got, Maggie's got like blonde ringlets and like a full face. And she's very pretty and Jeffrey's kind of narrating the the film strips and just saying how I guess they're going to perform on the beach. You see someone kind of setting up, um, pounding some wood together, like a frame for a set. And it just it turned out that nothing went right that summer. We see Maggie on an inner tube with a red and white uh, umbrella. We see her playing volleyball with the guys. We see Maggie on a stage. It's a time period piece, like kind of an old English play. And she's, you know, getting their curtain call, the final bow. I love the score that plays over this. So here we get to, oh my gosh, I'm getting choked up. Excuse me. We get to hear... Maggie sing the song Smile by Charlie Chaplin. I've heard it sung by Josh Groban. It, it, it's such a beautiful song. But we do notice an inherited trait that Veda also has, like her mother, is the twirling of the hair on the finger. 
So the movie ends, and Jeffrey Pomeroy does ask Veda, "Look, would you have like to have these movies?" And Veda, of course, who's crying? I can't blame her. That's the only real image other than a picture of her mother that she's seen. And she turns to him and says, "More than anything in the world, like of course she wants to have the movies." Oh, clearly, Veda can't. I mean, she's so caught up in this, thinking that he could be her father, that the timing does not add up. They got married in 58, Veda was born in 61, and of course, you know, she had uh, married her, her, her father, and then Veda came along nine months later, so it's like, I get that Hillary should have kept her damn mouth shut. Because she's like, didn't you ever wonder about me? And of course, Jeffrey's like, well, I didn't know about you until after she was gone. But I think in just Veda's words and questions, he kind of is like, Veda, do you think that I'm your father? He says, you know, Veda, I'd be proud to be your father, but it just isn't so. So he takes Veda out onto the porch and kind of tells her, you know, Maggie wanted to have a baby, but I didn't. And she didn't want to miss out. On anything, especially motherhood. So, of course, it became a real hot button issue for Jeffrey and Maggie. And Jeffrey is, you know, walking down the steps of his house. He's put an arm around Veda's shoulder. And it's like, you know, that's why I'm happy she met your father because he's like, you know, we all thought she had time and unfortunately she didn't. But that's why I'm happy she met your father. He had the sense to love her the way she deserved. And he says, I'm glad that she had you. The baby she always wanted. So now we're back at the Budapest Auto Repair. And she explains how she's going to use the movies in her report. And I love how Nick's like, well, you better ace it. You sacrificed our whole vacation. It's cool. They're all kind of hanging out. They don't really have any customers. And Rose is like, you know, it sounds like a very, it's going to be great. Oh, we got Dr. Sam Helpern. He's brought some strudel. Philip, of course, has had enough. And, of course, Phil has to tell Rose how he feels about her. That he loves her. Sam, of course, gets the picture, and then he leaves finally. Thank goodness. I love this, as he's like, you and Nick in this garage are my whole life, and I love you. Oh, so sweet. He proposes! Oh! Of course, now it's time for Veda to go back to Philadelphia. She's at the airport saying goodbye to Phil and her new soon-to-be Aunt Rose. And Rose is like, goodbye, niece Veda. And Veda's like, goodbye, Aunt Rose. Soon-to-be Aunt Rose. (laughs) Of course, Nick's... She goes off, and Nick is actually in the terminal, like, as she's, like, making her way to the plane, which, okay, you can't do that now. I don't even think you do that in 74. Austin O'Brien, oh my gosh, looks amazing. The wind is kind of from the open terminal down there. It's just kind of blowing his beautiful shoulder-length hair. Uh, it's just perfect setting. Oh, I'm going to play this clip. It's so beautiful. Listen, I'm sorry. You had to sacrifice your entire vacation. 
some sacrifices are worth it. You mean it wasn't that terrible? Say it was terrible. It was kind of an adventure. Part adventure. He's like, well, you know, they both agree, like, this was an adventure, an experience. And he asks her to write him a poem. And she's like, I'll write you ten poems. And they kiss! Ah! And it's so funny because, well, she turns to go because it's, you know, the final boarding call. And he's like, hey, look in your backpack. And uh, she turns to go, and then, of course, we see, we hear the Beach Boys song pumped in. It's just like, ah! Rose and Phil are just looking at a love-struck Nick. He is just, like, dazed, like, whoa. <laughs> like, that was the best kiss ever. <laughs> ah! And she's on the plane. She takes out this box, this little jewelry box with a, uh, well, not a jewelry box, but it's a little, um, white box with a red bow on it and it's the earring she had been looking at i mean we don't really see the earrings that she was looking at in the uh in the scene when she gets her ears pierced and everything but it is in the novelization and he wrote her a note in memory of barbaric customs love nick oh this is so sweet all right so she gets at the she's at the airport in Philadelphia. Of course, her dad and Shelly are not there to meet her. Arthur is, and that's because Shelly went into labor. So she's at the hospital. Her, you know, Harry's in the hallway, and she hugs her dad, and she's like, "What happened to Shelly?" And he's like, "Oh, well, she just had a baby. That's all." And he's like, "We have a baby," and he's like, "Yep, you have a brother." <laughs> like a boy, you got a new brother. Aww, that's. Amazing. So, in like five years, she's going to be going off to college, and this bo- little brother is going to be five years old starting like kindergarten. Because there's like a 13 year age gap between the two of them, but. Granted, of course, he does notice the fact that she got her ears pierced. Yep. So, she sees Shelly and her new baby brother, and she holds them. And it turns out the baby is not a Supremes fan. But a Charlie Chaplin fan, 
with the song Smile. Like, oh, because Theta's singing the song that she saw her mother sing. Oh. So I'm going to play the ending here as we get a little what happened afterward with Veda getting an A-plus on her report and all that good stuff. You know, the baby, I think, I'm sure his name is Harry Jr. Because we see Veda and Harry and Shelly walking the baby in, a you know, the 1970s black baby carriage. Things haven't exactly calmed down around here. I got an A-plus on the report. Dad's getting used to my pure stairs. And Nick's coming to visit this summer. Other than that, I'm busy being a big sister. I like to tell my brother about my mom, how I got to meet her friends and find out how special she was. I mean, she may not have her footprints in cement, but she definitely left her imprint on the world. And I told him that, even though it sounds conceited, her greatest achievement was me. So, yeah, she's just telling her little baby brother all about her mom's greatest achievements and all that stuff. And it's like things haven't really calmed down, of course, since they have a new baby in the house. And how her dad's getting used to her pierced ears and Nick is going to visit Philadelphia in the summer. And it's just like, ah, now she can show him around Philadelphia. That's so cool. And that's how the movie ends. Of course, they pump in the My Girl song. Nice little bookend there. I really enjoyed this movie. Now, I love My Girl, the first movie, a lot better. I thought this was cute. Yes, I mean, I kind of agree. Like, it didn't really need to be made. But for those that were kind of curious, like, what happened to Veda at the end of the movie, we get that during here. They used her wanting to learn about her mom as a way to have a sequel. So I hope you guys enjoyed the the movie along with me. Definitely, if you can, you know, get it whether online somewhere or on a streaming site. I think maybe Netflix may have it. Not sure. Maybe Hulu. But definitely check it out. If if you haven't watched, watch My Girl 2 if you haven't. Then watch My, or watch My Girl first and then watch My Girl 2. But alright everybody, have, well, since we're all staying in, um, <laughs> well, you can enjoy the sun from your window, I guess. Or if you want to get out there while the weather, the weather's doing crazy things here in the Mitten State, I tell you, it's like, it's like 50, 60 degrees one day and it's like 35 the next with snow. It's like, it's really weird. But all right, everybody, stay home, stay safe, stay positive. We will get through this.